don't know why she thought I'd get this far. Like, I don't know why. Here's the thing about Rain. Like, she's just not that bright. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is Rebecca Galt, better known to people in the Discord as B, who is a queer scholar from Scotland specializing in the eroticism of monsters in genre fiction. So... I uh, can't really imagine a better guest for this episode. Rebecca, how are you today? I'm doing great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's as good as we can ask for at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's kind of going to sum it up. We are here to talk about Wolfsbane Spain because Pride Month is over, so it's time for the Wolfsbane Spain episode. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. I suppose we can, uh, you know, if she ever gets it together, she can, she can do that. She's not going to get it together. I'm not sure she's going to get it together. Um, But anyway, Rain Sinclair, the final member of the original New Mutants cast to be covered on this podcast. I dog on Rain a lot, not to, yeah, no pun intended, too much anyway, but I wanted to give her a fair shake because she is a very popular character, which you wouldn't realize from the way that she's often discussed on this podcast. But I thought that it would be nice to talk about her with a big fan of the character uh, who understands why I have trouble with the character. So yeah. I think what we're going to end up doing is simply because like her character trajectory is so bizarre and compounds itself there's a lot of cleft eyes (laughs) yeah like it just sort of builds and builds and builds so i think that we're gonna go chronologically with her luckily there are big stretches we can kind of skip over like i don't think anybody is going to be furious if we don't talk at length about ben robb's excalibur no disrespect to mr robb (laughs) you know just doesn't seem like an era people are clamoring for coverage of I am really excited. It is great to have you. We've been talking about doing this for quite some time. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your personal connection to the X-Men, how you came to love this franchise. You are a Gen Z academic. Yeah. I think you're the youngest person who's been a guest on this podcast. 22. Yeah, that's... (laughs) I have a 21 plus rule. Like you need to be, if we were at a con, you would need to be able to get a drink with me, whether or not one drinks. Like I simply can't have a podcast guest who can't enter a bar. It, th- psychically, I just can't deal with that. But um, you could have just left. I simply can't. I can't. I just, I simply can't do that. Right. But anyway, how are you? Grad student, extraordinaire, yeah. young person. Oh, were, oh my, were you born in the year 2000? 99. Oh, that's so much better. Okay. <laughs> no, I can, that I can tolerate. That's fine. Oh, no, I did this the other day. I was looking at Sadie Sink and was like, oh, she was born in 2002. Yeah, it's not she's acceptable. She's 20. Billie Eilish has an Oscar and was born after 9-11. And I don't accept that. I hate that. It's I awful. hate it. And she will EGOT soon, I'm sure, with a post 9-11 date of birth on Wikipedia. And I will find that very 
unsettling. But what's your story? I feel like people your age don't often come to the X-Men in the way that people 10 years older than you often did because when we were kids, it was like the biggest property in the world. But when you were a kid, it had kind of been buried. Yeah. So I am an only child. So I was responsible for all my own entertainment. But I had a friend growing up who had two older brothers and they dragged her kicking and screaming into comics like that was it (laughs) she had to be into comics with them and naturally I was her friend so she dragged me (laughs) right yeah that's how it works uh but I started with the Fox movies as one does and latched on to yet another contentious figure in this podcast (laughs) <laughs> I am a Jean Grey defender. It's that's okay. Hard than I have to bear. Jean and I have a complicated relationship. I, I mean, it, much like Madeline and Jean have a complicated relationship, yeah. and much like Emma and Jean have a complicated relationship. I just relate to Jean from sort of that perspective, whereas I think it's totally reasonable that some people relate to Jean from a Jean perspective. It's just not quite where I meet the character. Well, here's the thing: I love terrible women. Always. Right. No, the reason part of why we became friends was because you were like a Jean Stan who just wanted to talk with me about how awful Jean is, which I always Sucks. think is she's fun. the absolute yeah. worst. I love her. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also like horrible women, obviously. I mean, we've all we all just heard the spiral extravagans. Incredible. Oh, actually, before we get too deep into this episode, I do have two quick corrections from oh. the earlier episodes in season three. I've been recording pretty round the clock but there was a bit of a pause here during the al ewing episode on abigail brand i mentioned the story where hank tries to fuck a cat i said that that was in an x-men unlimited 42 it's actually an x-men unlimited 36 you guys know issue numbers i'm not always the best the week before that when steph williams was on to talk about cecilia reyes we talked about dark beast and i said that dark beast impersonated hank while he was dating cecilia the late 90s, also something I'm not good at. And I realized after recording that the Dark Beast impersonating Beast plot happens before Cecilia and Hank meet. So thankfully, that's not something Cecilia ever had to worry about. And we can just move on. Quite honestly, I'm going to be real. I think that I was incepted by a fan fiction that I read when I was young where Dark Beast was taunting Hank with the idea that he might do something to Cecilia. So I think that in my head that just stuck, but that scene's not actually canonical. I was thinking like, where did I get that? And then I was like, oh. That in- I was a teenager reading inappropriate fan fiction. Right, yeah. No, sometimes that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've latched onto Jean and then the first X-Men comic I read was the Dark Phoenix Saga. Started strong. Yeah. Came in hot. That was where I was going. And it was the Dark Phoenix Saga. I was sold. Like, that was me. Uh, yeah, so I just started to read around after that. I followed no titles consistently at all. I picked up what looked cool and went for it. Kids these days in their reading orders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of where I was at. And then I picked up a New Mutants issue. It was one of, like that, my friend's brothers had them and one of them looked pretty cool. It was in that early run. And... <laughs> 
I saw a Scot and I was like, sold. Absolutely. Right. You're like, there's a Scottish character. Love that. And a lot of the time that is what happens. Like people, I mean, like Terry Bloss talked about how in the skin episode, he was like, well, is skin like the most compelling character of all time? No, but I had never seen a Latino superhero in a comic book. So I was like, great. Awesome. I'm in. Yeah. I imagine there weren't that many Scottish characters in non-Scottish or British pop culture, right? Even in British, they tend to skew English, which, you know. Well, I mean, don't they always? <laughs> don't they always? But yeah, and I I latched on and I found her pretty interesting, but kind of fell off reading comics for a while, especially as I got into a degree where I was like, I have to read all the time, constantly. So. Right. <laughs> but then... Like I, like you said, I specialize in monstrosity and a lot of that. So yeah, she's kind of been coming back in like little spectral forms throughout my time. Mm-hmm. Just be like, hey, remember this character you thought about once and then forgot about? And I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. I like a female werewolf. I think they're a cool concept. I think part of my disconnect with Wolfsbane has always been that I'm not super into werewolves conceptually. Mm. I love horror fiction. I love, I mean, we've, we've talked. Rebecca, by the way, is the Gen Z person who I told about the video game Parasite Eve from my childhood, who is now writing an academic paper on Parasite Eve. So if you don't think soon. this podcast has, has made waves, that's a wave. <laughs> Actually, you also met your girlfriend through this podcast. I did indeed. Very true. I love that for me because I am an ally to the lesbian community. But anyway... I think it's, I've joked, like, I'm just, I'm more of a cat person, because I am, Mm -hmm. but I think there's just something about werewolves aesthetically that just, like, didn't interest me as much. Mm -hmm. Part of that also is probably that when it came to the female characters, I've talked about this with Siren also, too, like, the characters that I felt really drawn to were the female characters who were not necessarily comfortable with being hyper-feminine, but were hyper-feminine and were dealing with that. I think that was my issue with Rain, because if you look at New Mutants, I mean, like, Danny and Ilyana were fabulous, and I just, like, couldn't get enough of them, and Rain was, like, fine, you know, but I just she wasn't. Was there. Yeah, I was just like not that. I liked reading her dialogue. I loved her. <laughs> the dialogue. She didn't ken why anything's happening. She didn't ken. She, she didn't. Didn't. I'm going to take <laughs> notes throughout this episode to make my horrible Claremont Scottish accent better. Well, I was thinking about it and she's from the Highlands, which means I'm Glaswegian. So I'm like central belle of Scotland. Okay, I was going to say like how different is your accent from the accent? So she's like much further north, which means her accent's going to be like a lot more like almost musical. You would hear her go, hey, then sentences and it would hang and sing up and in as she was talking. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. A Scottish listener wrote in and said that her last name should be pronounced Sinclair because that's how they say it in the North. And I am not going to do that because I can't <laughs> rewire my brain that extensively. It's unsettling. It sounds wrong, yeah. I just can't do that right now. But it is an interesting thought. I'm sure that they say Sinclair at Xavier's, <laughs> but apparently up in the Highlands, they would call her Rain Sinclair. Yeah, because all the words just kind of... Sinclair, I guess, right? Because the I yeah. becomes an E. Mm-hmm. I was listening to you talking about issues a moment ago, and I was like taking little <laughs> notes. 
<laughs> so, it's okay you'll notice it'll go more scots as i do the dialogue and i'll be like bring it back bring no it back. no don't ever never ratchet it back i want people who have trouble with accents to simply not understand this episode i think that would be really again like i love a form and content moment it's and a form I think and that content moment. if rain was unintelligible to an american <laughs> audience that would be fitting for the episode right? very funny so you came back to the X-Men a little bit as an adult and yes. you got into this podcast, which was fun. I did indeed. Rain is someone you've been looking at a lot in your studies. What is the work you do in terms of like gender studies and fiction and monstrosity and that stuff? Like we, you and I have talked about Barbara Creed and like lots of things. I was a media studies girly myself. Have a so. copy of the monstrous. Oh, I'm so jealous. That book is so expensive. I actually don't yeah. own one. Um, but I'm vested because, yeah, like that. I did a lot of work in this field. Uh, my undergrad thesis was specifically about vampire fiction and the queer coding of that. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, let's broaden it out. Let's do some different monsters. Yeah. And I'm working on a... And a, and a grad thesis about the racism inherent in monstrous bodies and how that changes in terms of like radical politics and all of that. It's very thorny and fun. I have a, a big massive spectrum of monstrous bodily alteration that I keep <laughs> to hand. And people ask me about it and I unfold my spectrum and look deranged entirely. You're like, here's all the ways you can become a freaky sex monster. Yeah, <laughs> it's a long and short, but that's what I do. And people are like, huh? And I'm like, any recommendations? Thoughts? Grad school, baby. Like, I can do, you know, that's, listen. Yeah. If you've never been to humanities grad school, you don't get it. But sometimes don't you get end it. up in a very strange niche and you're just like, this is my niche and I'm just going to keep running because I'm going to publish and I'm running and running and running. Uh <laughs> like my specific grad course is on fantasy literature. It is currently still the only one in the world specializing in it. Interesting. Where is that? What school? If you don't mind me like it's doxing you. at the University of Glasgow and we have a specific center for fantasy, but the circle is very small. So you're just <laughs> tripping over everyone who knows each other. <laughs> I mentioned coming on here and one of my tutors was like, is that Connor Goldsmith? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, hello, Scotland. Yeah. Thrilled to like, hear. Wild. That's crazy, actually. That makes me feel insane, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, now it's you, baby, because you're now the best host me. this week. So before we just jump into it and start with the beginning of Rain's journey. What is it about this character that you really specifically identify with and want to tease out? I think a lot of it for me is her whole deal is she represses everything. She has no concept of dealing with things in healthy manners. Right. Of course she doesn't. But um, in the seminal classic, Ginger Schnapps. Yes, yes. Key lesbian werewolf movie. Absolutely. There's that one line where Ginger's like, oh, I get this ache and I thought it was for sex, but it's to tear everything into fucking pieces. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> it's the conflation of like anger and desire and where those kind of intersect and cross over. That's like, yes, that's the good stuff. That's where she's most interesting to me, I think, when she's kind of operating in that like gray space where she's not sure of what it is. 
that's when she's most interesting to me also. And I think part of why the character has struggled is that I think for a lot of writers, they're not interested in the gray space. They're just interested in making it sexual. Yes. Because she's a repressed Christian girl. Mm -hmm. And so the appealing thing is to like do her hoe phase. Yeah. But for me, her hoe phase is like, cannibalism oriented or should be you know what I mean like so I I just don't quite get when it's like now she's sexy I'm like she should never really be sexy is kind of my feeling about this the worst like looks for Rainer always and they like make her hyper feminine and I'm like oh yes oh no it's like now she's got long hair and low-rise jeans and I'm like this is hell we're in hell (laughs) right now we are now it turns out Calvinism was right. Rain was right all along. And none <laughs> of us are elect because we are all trapped in the yes. bowels of hell. And it's that right here. So for listeners who are unfamiliar, Rain Sinclair, a.k.a. Wolfsbane, is, as I said earlier, one of the original New Mutants created by Chris Claremont and Bob McCloud in 1982. She is Moira McTaggart's ward. She was raised by a nasty reverend named Reverend Craig, who later writers will retcon as her biological father, which is an interesting. It's one of those things where it's actually it's a lot like Spiral being Rita. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's intended in the Claremont stuff, but you can absolutely read that into it if you yeah. want. She is Scots Presbyterian, which is not Catholic, but has a lot of similar trappings visually to Catholicism, so Americans get confused. So sometimes Rain ends up written very Catholic, which is not quite right. But she's actually Calvinist, which is actually very important to the character. Calvinism, if you're not familiar with Protestant denominations, centers on the concept of being one of the elect or not. The idea is that the people who go to heaven are predestined before they're born to be virtuous people who would go to heaven and everybody else is damned, basically. In Calvinism, the idea is you behave like a good person and do good works to prove that you are one of the elect. But it's very easy for the community to turn on you and decide, oh, you were never one of the elect at all and your sinful behavior proves it which surprise is what happens yeah and is very in keeping with the thing about rain that's difficult is that rain's entire storyline is about being a lesbian yeah except no one will except let her be a lesbian. she's not a lesbian canonically at all and well but you get what i'm saying like we yeah. just made a face but like i'm just saying like <laughs> Canon and subtext to me are very much things that are in flux and, and ephemeral. Like Rachel Summers is technically not canonically a lesbian, but I mean, first but of she all, she may as well be. Let's give it to the end of this year, I would say. But more importantly, I think that with Rain, much like there's an interest in sexualizing the character to like give her a bad girl ooh the christian girl's getting naughty phase i feel like mm-hmm. there's also been a concerted interest in heterosexualizing her yeah because claremont's conception of the character to me seems very clearly this is a young girl who is a lesbian who is completely tormented by that and doesn't understand it because she's so religious yes but her primal psychic bond with danny moonstar because danny is a mystical native american and rain is a dog uh (laughs) i mean sorry that's what it it is not wrong 
shows her that she can have that level of intimate relationship with a woman and that sort of starts to open her mind to yes. what could be but it never goes there and after Danny departs for Asgard in the Simonson New Mutants their relationship never really comes back again like it comes oh, back wow. briefly but then it's in New Mutants volume two where then it's destroyed by Rain's relationship with elixir who is danny's ward i'm making such a face right now <laughs> i know and then like it never really recovers again until krakoa where yeah. i think that vidayal is doing interesting work with it the issue really is just that this is a character whose entire story is about repression and the writers who followed claremont and simonson on the character i think see her as repressed in a different way yeah, they just think sure. she's you know only the good die young like catholic girl start much too late but like that's you know they're not thinking about it from the perspective of she's a calvinist lesbian who thinks that if she eats pussy she'll go to hell yeah and that's what the character's really about yeah that's absolutely it. like that's her whole deal yeah so i just feel like she's a frustrating character because it never the arc never resolves. Yeah, and it doesn't resolve because it needs to be taken to that like logical conclusion, and it's just not happened yet. I think until it does, the character is fundamentally going to be a pretty frustrating character, and especially after they had like after the, in the Fox movie, Danny and Rain were a couple. Which bad movie with Rain one played of by few... Arya Stark? Like you get Maisie Williams to come play a dyke in your Fox X Men movie. Just let the character be gay. I yeah. mean, like, more people are now aware of Wolfsbane as a lesbian than probably ever were aware of Wolfsbane previously. So, like, if you're gonna do some backward synergy, at least pick that. Like, right. I mean, it doesn't help that that movie was not, it was bad. let's say, it was... rapturously received. Yeah. But that part of it was pretty positively received. That part. Think... And Anya Taylor Joy is Eliana. That yeah, I mean, the writing for Liana was bad, but the casting was great. Casting was pitch perfect. Yeah. Patch perfect. Patch perfect. Patch perfect. Patch perfect. I'm just going to imitate you all the whole episode. <laughs> so I feel like we should just dive in. Yeah. And get to basically the parade of frustration that is attempting to follow Rain Sinclair's narrative. Yes. Because she is, much like her fellow Peter David X Factor character, Valerie Cooper, frustrating specifically because she constantly regresses to an earlier stage of development and never quite reaches the narrative conclusion that it feels like she's going toward. And that's a problem in superhero comics and other ongoing things generally, but she's a particularly easily flanderized character. Yes. You can make her into a caricature very easily and a lot of people do and mm -hmm. it drags her back from anywhere that she's been since and any lessons that she's learned since and she just kind of resets yes she like stalls out a lot like you think she's going somewhere and then it'll stop and then she'll be in another book and you're like oh we're doing the same arc again okay right and i do <laughs> think that ayala is playing with that to make it a character trait Yes. Like that she intentionally backslides in order to prevent herself from having to deal with being a grown up and being gay and being a lesbian. Right. Like that's I mean, that's my read. I don't know. Like, listen, there are it's like she gets listening. so close to the breakthrough and then she's like, but I'm so afraid of this that I don't want to do it. So she goes back. So she's like backwards now and <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. 
Rain first debuts in the New Mutants graphic novel, Marvel graphic novel number four. She is pretty memorable in it because it's like the first scene, basically. Well, first of all, she's memorable in it because the way Bob McCloud draws her like transitional werewolf forms is extremely funny. Up until like Sinkavage takes over the book, I do find it like the half wolf forms extremely Trash. amusing. <laughs> not because Bob McCloud's not a good artist, because he is, but just an odd thing to draw it's very like island of dr moreau in a way that like i feel like it wasn't later on right but so she's introduced as the youngest member of the new team she's 13 she's actually 14 in the graphic novel but they adjusted to 13 pretty quickly and we see her meeting moira mctaggart because she is chased naked through the highlands of scotland by a lynch mob led by the reverend craig who has declared her a witch because she's a werewolf and Moira, who delivered Rain as a baby, because yeah. this is her like ancestral land, remembers that she ran a blood test on Rain once when Rain was a kid and saw anomalies in her DNA. I really should have kept better tabs on this one. It's like, yeah, Moira, you probably should have. Maybe you should have like taken a note of that. Or, like, she may be a mutant. Up. It's like, yeah, she might be. Like. You Come on now. But anyway, the Reverend Craig and his men are, have like literal torches and guns and are like, we're going to kill her. Moira says, this is Canrus land, Reverend Craig. You're trespassing and like won't let him come and yada, 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 and sort of sends them away. She then adopts Rain, who is an orphan, as her legal daughter. Yes. In the modern era. There's a lot there. <laughs> Obviously, this is a really interesting thing because knowing what we know now about Moira X, why would Moira do that? How does Moira actually feel about Rain? Their relationship does feel very genuine in the classic material. Yeah. And this is Life 10 where the Proteus saga has already happened. Mm -hmm. So there's an interesting bit here where it's like Moira is creating a new family with Sean and Rain and Teresa, but Moira doesn't really care that much about Teresa. And she makes it very obvious. Yeah, she's like, mm, don't love this. I did I love that you have a long lost daughter. Don't care for that. Don't care for it. That said, it's played pretty straight in this early stuff because for Claremont, Moira is a good guy. So there's that. Um, but Moira immediately puts Rain on a plane and flies with her to Xavier's because she's mm -hmm. like all right, the X-Men are lost in space and we think they're dead. It's time for Charles to just get over it and make a new team. Let's just replace them with some new kids. That's probably It's a great fine. Moira X moment in this graphic where she's just like, Charles, you kind of stay so sad. You got to recruit new kids who will train and then will die in battle again. All right, <laughs> it's, very... it's fine. It's probably going to be fine. fine. So she and Karma are the first two recruited for the New Mutants squad. And then they go with Moira and Charles to recruit the rest of the team. They end up fighting Donald Pierce, the erstwhile white king of the Hellfire Club. It's complicated. Don't worry about it. Go back to the Tessa episode, maybe, or Cannonball. Basically, a lot of these New Mutants plots we've already covered because we've done all the other New Mutants characters besides Magma, who's coming up. So uh, <laughs> I think that there's no need to really like re-stress. But the big thing is she's useful in the mission and we see that she actually also, in addition to her ability to become a dog or a half dog, initially she just is like dog or human, 
but then mm-hmm. she can kind of do like and I say dog but it's like it's a wolf but you know it's a little bit dog like it's a little bit doggish <laughs> and then but she gets shot and yeah and Charles sucks at this point he's the worst for this he's just terrible I mean this is where you can tell that Chris is like how do I send this man to space like I'm just <laughs> not deal with him anymore he like actively is thinking like oh putting this effort in is making her injuries worse it's killing her <laughs> anyway she's got to do it and I'm like, gotta do it oh, anyway right yeah now. but it turns out she has a low level healing factor it's yes. not like wolverine level but she recovers and she quickly bonds with danny because as we said she and danny have a psychic link because danny has the mutant power in addition to her mirage powers to psychically communicate with animals. And since Rain is a part-time animal, she sometimes, when she's in dog form, she and Danny have a psychic rapport, basically. It's a side hustle for her. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Rain is generally kind of insecure. She's younger than the others. She's scrawny. Also, she cannot grow her hair longer, like physically can't grow her hair longer than like a pixie cut because the texture of it is more like a wolf's fur. Yeah, which like there's something a little bit gender in there. Yeah, and she's very self-conscious about that because she wants to have long, beautiful hair like all her friends, but she can't grow it out. Which is why when they make her have long hair, you're like, no. You're like, this is not the point of the character, right? No. The point is, is that she's so desperate to conform and physically cannot because of physically her mutation. Physically cannot do it, yeah. And it marks her as different. I talk a lot about, like, markedly different monstrosity, where you can, like, very visibly see that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works for Rain in that, like, that she can't grow her hair her mutation is one that acts upon her body like it's a physical one rather than mm-hmm. something like mental based um and it maps on really well to this idea of like being visibly queer like this idea that someone can set you apart from the norm at a the glance. idea that she can't pass as yeah. quote-unquote normal is essential to the character and ties into her physical of, mutation right yeah like, it's the source of all her anxieties she wants so badly to and she can't so she represses it further, and that's why she ends up in all of these states. In, in all of these crises of her own making that truly were avoidable. Yeah. Surprise, it's the consequences of her own actions. <laughs> Rain in the early adventures of the New Mutants mostly is a supporting character, honestly. Like, she's kind of Danny's sidekick in a lot of ways. Danny is very much the protagonist of the Claremont New Mutants, except when Ileana is. But this is pre-Iliana. First, there's the Marvel team-up story, which is not Claremont, but, like, there's that story with Cloak and Dagger where she Mm. and Sunspot get super overpowered by drugs that amplify mutant powers, and she's like, I'm a crazy werewolf now, and it doesn't last super long, but... She has a real thing about killing in the early mutants. She's very afraid of it. Very afraid she's going to kill people because if she kills people, that will prove that Reverend Craig was right about her. And also a little bit afraid that if she kills people, she thinks she might like it. Well, (laughs) yeah. Oh, oh no. Because Reverend Craig says she's possessed by the devil. And so if she feels the urge to kill people, that's kind of evidence that he's right, right? And then Mm -hmm. if she actually does kill people and like it then he'll have been right all along and she can't Mm -hmm. tolerate that idea 
so karma dies apparently she gets better don't worry about it and uh they all go to the amazon jungle where they fall into nova roma as has been discussed in episodes such as the Celine episode and the sunspot episode critically rain is the one who ends up bearing her soul to a mysterious brown-skinned native girl named Amara, who they've taken as a hostage to try and understand what's going on in the area after, like, Amara and her mm-hmm. friends attacked the New Mutants as, like, intruders. She assumes Amara does not speak English because why would a tribeswoman from, like, an uncontacted tribe speak English, right? That's a fair assumption at that Yeah, point. no, it's like a reasonable assumption. She's like, how did I can why I can't love myself and Raven Craig said I was the devil and all this stuff. Sometimes I think he's right about me, you know, she's like she goes on and on and on and on. I might just let you do all the dialogue. No. <laughs> if you have dialogue you'd like to read, just like raise your hand and like read a panel for me because I'm just otherwise like summarizing. But I'm slightly embarrassed no, I'm just to like do my it. terrible accent in front of an actual Scottish person. The twist is, it turns out Amara is actually just in blackface and speaks English. So... That sucks for Rain. Yeah, Rain feels pretty betrayed, and she and Amara kind of have beef for a while after that. And it's like, well, okay, Rain, but you chose to unburden your innermost secrets to this native indigenous girl you captured. So, like, that's kind of on you that it turns out she's a blonde noblewoman who speaks English. Why do the Nova Romans speak English, by the way? Don't worry about it. Not super clear. Don't worry about it. I imagine Celine taught them English because she was bored Bored. of Latin for like 2,000 years, right? The nice thing about Nova Roma is that because she is a werewolf, the Nova Romans think she's great because, of course, a wolf suckled Romulus and Remus in the origin myth of Rome. The Nova Romans think that she is of that bloodline of the divine wolves and are very excited about her and worship her as a goddess, which really excites her. I have a note on these issues that's just sense of justice wouldn't let Amara be heart, and then in brackets, it's just shame. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, and all that special treatment makes her susceptible to manipulation by Senator Marcus Domitius Gallio and his wife, Celine. But, uh, in the end, they join forces with Amara, who becomes Magma and joins the team. They go home and quickly are joined also by the now teenage Ilyana Rasputina, who really freaks Rain out because she is Real literally bad. a demon. So Rain is like, I kind of consort with creatures of the devil, you know, and like, it's not great. But she does make a new friend, Cat's Eye, iconic member Incredible. of the Cross Hellions. Those two, like, I know there are a lot of people who are very invested in Danny and Rain. I have said that I'm more into Danny and Karma, honestly, yeah. but... I like Danny and Rain, but Rain and Cat's Eye. But Rain and Cat's Eye... There's something going on. <laughs> there's something there. Cat's Eye, who was raised by cats and thinks she's a cat, but Emma Frost has adopted her. This is the other thing. So, like, the Hellions are a mirror image of the new mutants right they're like an anime villain squad designed to mirror the team so you have taro for example who has magic powers like Ilyana, but her power is just like danny's like creating images from her imagination 
you have Jetstream, who has a power just like cannonballs. You have Warpath, who is from a different Native American tribe from Danny and has different complicated relationships to the X-Men. You have Empath, who is an aristocrat like Magma, but mm. also has psychic powers like Karma and Danny's. And then you have Cat's Eye, who is just Wolfsbane, but a cat. And like Rain, she is... Emma's legal daughter like Emma has yes. adopted her which, which is a relationship I would and no one brings up see. yeah I know Sharon is Emma's legal daughter and I think that now that she's back on Krakoa she and the cuckoo should hang out yeah I have a pitch call me Marvel <laughs> but anyway Cat's Eye is a genius but mm -hmm. is very animalistic and doesn't really worry about human stuff which is a contrast to Rain who only worries about human stuff uh -huh. and so cat's eye is very helpful for her because cat's eye is like hello red fur come with cat's eye come to the park and like they turn into animals and like walk around together and they yeah. have a nice time and it's nice it kind of like taps into like rain really likes being the wolf she doesn't like admitting it she, she doesn't like doing it but once she does it yeah. she's happier in that form than she is in her human form and cat's eye who considers her cat form to be her normal form and the yeah. human form to be something that she does to hang out in class has a very different perspective on it yeah. so it's a nice eye-opening thing for rain this is around when Sinkevich has taken over the book yes. it leads into the demon bear arc and then slumber party which is a famous issue that's 21. this is a key moment for rain because Ilyana gives her a makeover mm -hmm. and puts like makeup on her and gives her a cute dress and like all this other stuff and so cannonball who rain has a crush on apparently yeah, I mean that makes sense to me though. I I, I had plenty of crushes like on non-threatening. Yeah, I had like crushes on girls that were never gonna go anywhere before yeah, I like exactly. accepted what was up with me. You know what I mean? And I think that this is a similar. It's very like Lisa Simpson holding a copy of Non-Threatening Boys Monthly. Like it has that yes, vibe to absolutely. it, right? It's like she's looked at someone and pecked them. Yeah, <laughs> but she's devastated because when Sam shows up for the slumber party he does not recognize rain he asks yeah. where rain is which is rough <laughs> that's rough going it's like an early teenager oh yeah oh. and she's really upset and turns into her werewolf form and runs off but later it's rain whose intrinsic humanity is really important because she is the one who empathizes with warlock the strange alien that has attacked them out of confusion and she's the first one to reach out physically and like make physical contact with warlock which go back to the warlock episode with stephanie burt but there's a lot about like touching warlock and the queerness of touching warlock and yeah. also like the taboo of touching mm -hmm. warlock culturally so the fact that rain is willing it says we gotta trust him and like reaches out trust them m trust them Trust them. Trust them. And reaches out and like does like a hand clasp, I think is important for the character. Yeah. It's interesting, folks. Like she's always, she's more affectionate in her wolf form, like that, because a lot of those like social boundaries she's created in her own head are kind of mm -hmm. removed. Because it's like, I'm an animal, it doesn't matter. But when it counts, she does reach out quite often. And I think it's, there's a lot of empathy in her that. 
again, I think is easy to overlook when you're taking that grey space to one extreme or another. I think it's, she's hard. You kind of have to navigate all these different threads that she's weighing. Like she's really judgmental, but she's also very sympathetic a lot of the time. Well, and particularly, I think that over the course of the 80s, she becomes less judgmental and more open-minded. And the problem is that, again, writers just... You know what? I'm being imprecise. Peter David, whenever he gets... Yeah. Let me just be specific. Let's just say it, shall we? Whenever Peter A. David gets his hands on this character, she twists into a really repressed, mean closed-minded form of herself that to me, even with the trauma of Genosha, which we'll get to, isn't quite a natural progression from the reign of New Mutants. In particular, like, I don't like at all the way that Weir and DeFilippis wrote her in New Mutants Volume 2. And I've said I think that broke the character on the Mm -hmm. show because I do think that it really broke the character fundamentally in a way that is hard to fix. Yeah, it's like one of the things that's the hardest to like hand wave away. Yeah, but that aside, they did have her growing and changing and like becoming a more... I don't agree with the direction they went in, but I think that the direction they went in was at least progress for the character emotionally in some way. Mm -hmm. And then... David gets his hands on the character again and she's just back to the 90s. It's just like, yeah. we're back. Much like David does with Polaris when Polaris joins X-Factor mm-hmm. Investigations and all of the character development from the Magneto's daughter stuff is just gone. Mm-hmm. He is a lot like Claremont that way. When he returns to a character, he often just picks them up where he left them. Yes, David left X-Factor the first time under circumstances that were pretty acrimonious. So... Yeah. I think that for him, he doesn't care what they did with Rain in the late 90s because his arc got disrupted. And it shows. He did quit in a, a circumstance where he, he basically, he felt like his vision was being compromised. And he, I mean, he's right because this is compromising to this. He's right about this. Yeah. The insistence that there be a giant franchise-wide event every year was yeah. making it impossible for him to do a lot of the long-term plotting he wanted to do. So he left mm-hmm. around X-Factor 89, I want to say. Somewhere I'm also there. bad with that issue numbers. I know, I'm bad with issue numbers. Certainly before 100, because that's yeah. the Haven arc with multiple man. So I want to say 89, but I could be wrong. So I think that he like just picked it up sort of determinedly midstream. But yeah, absolutely. it does make the character very herky-jerky to deal with. And that's part of what's made the character difficult for me is that I really grew to love her over the course of New Mutants mm-hmm. in the 80s, particularly by Inferno. Yeah. And then it just kind of circles the drain for the next... For so long. 30 years. So long. <laughs> I, was, I was rereading it all and I was just like, oh, this is relentless. Huh? And Peter David is the writer who has had custody of her for most of her publication history yeah which is real rough not the full majority i don't think like if you actually do the math but like in terms of who wrote this character the longest it was him and his vision of her is very specific and i don't like that character so (laughs) and also very narrow there's not a lot of room for progression in the arc that he has in mind for her well and he piles trauma upon trauma upon trauma on her in such a way that it's kind of like, I mean, like, and, and I don't know what it is. 
because Claremont does that too, right? Like Claremont's favorite mm-hmm. characters experience a parade of traumas. Simonson does this to Warren also. Like it's not inherently a, a bad character development strategy. There's something about the way he does it though. I think with Rain, it's that she has so little agency over anything that ever happens to her. Yeah. And given that she's introduced to us as like a child with religious trauma who basically grew up in a cult, who just wants to assert herself. Yeah, thematically. The way that the narrative refuses to let her assert herself ever, except in really dysfunctional, fucked up ways, it just makes the character kind of exhausting. Yeah, because thematically it kind of suppresses her back down into those roots and gives her nowhere to go. Because if she can't assert herself like that, then what's the point? Like, why are we still doing this? Right. And there are lots of real people like that in the real world. But yeah. with a fictional character, you want to see a narrative arc of some kind. And with her, yeah. it just feels like a Mobius strip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Constant. So there's uh, the first, like, gendery what if Rain had long hair moment, which is that the side effects of that cloak and dagger story mm-hmm. pop back up. And Rain develops like a split personality where she does have like long hair and looks like a beautiful older woman. Yes. Through like some shape shifting. Don't worry about it. It ends up resolved because Cloak and Dagger fix it. But Rain, who is now back to being a scrawny boyish girl with short spiky hair that she can't grow out, is left kind of bummed out. Yeah, she did like looking that way and Mm -hmm. being beautiful like her friends and is upset that she can't have it anymore. It's also like that team up taps back into this, this fear she has of if she lets the wolf out, if she lets the wolf take over, that she'll lose her humanity entirely. Mm -hmm. And it kind of comes up really often, especially in this like New Mutants arc, as like, both her one of her biggest fears and her biggest desire to like just just give that up and be like it would be so much easier if I didn't have to cling on to all these horrific things I've been taught all these things I'm trying to navigate and I don't know I think a lot of that comes from this desire to just kind of make her life easier for herself it's been so hard up until now for her to navigate anything that she's like wouldn't it just be easier Well, and she's so insecure about, like, she's gotten the Daddy Warbucks happy ending of Moira adopting her, Mm -hmm. who's this, like, noblewoman, Lady Kenris, who, like, you know, is a famous scientist and, like, all of this stuff, and who says, you're my daughter now. And she's still so afraid it'll be taken away. Yeah, especially, like, once Legion shows up and Moira is stuck on Mirror Island studying Legion, Mm -hmm. Rain gets very jealous. Yes. Because she thinks that this is more up Moira's alley, basically, like to be studying this. Oh, like a mentally ill young man with uncontrollable reality warping powers. Gosh, where has Moira encountered that before? You know, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. her kid, right? So like Rain's sort of, where is my role in all this? Moira reassures her always, but mm-hmm. you can tell that she does always believe that at a moment's notice this can all be yanked away from her because she is a sinner. Yes. And she believes that with the new mutants as well. She she comes to regard them all as friends and that's something she hasn't really had before. And 
the whole way through she has such like a wealth of feeling for them all and yet constantly is just like but I don't belong here this isn't she's so convinced that she's a reprobate by like yeah. Calvinist standards and that she is not elect like her friends are basically yes. like that is definitely the at the core of her anxiety this is around when they go to Asgard and she meets the wolf prince Rimhari, who is a Norse wolf god. He is just a wolf, though. Just a wolf. He has a werewolfy form, but he does not have a human mm-hmm. form. So they hang out in werewolf form and she is drawn to him romantically and has like sexual thoughts about him that make her deeply ashamed. Horrified. and he's like come be my love or whatever she's like i cannot do that you know and like runs away screaming she can't she can't do it eventually while she wants to stay with him and see if like love could be real or whatever she instead chooses her friends yes because they're told you can all stay in asgard or you can all go home yeah but it's all one of you can't stay Right, so they all agree to leave, yeah. uh, even though some of them, like Rain and Danny, might have stayed. I think it's a good beat for her to like actively yeah, choose. Well, to actively choose Danny over Hermari is basically <laughs> what happens, right? Which it's very you know, Claremont that way. Like, it's, so uh... of course it is. <laughs> then the New Mutants all get murdered by the Beyonder. That's pretty rough. They get resurrected. Emma Frost helps repair their minds. Magneto is the headmaster by now, and uh, he and Rain don't have as close a relationship as he does with some of the others, like Ilyana or Sunspot or Cannonball or Mirage. But any of them, really. Any of them, really. I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, who does he have a less close relationship than does with Rain? I think that Eric is very confused by Rain. Like, yes. I think that Magneto doesn't get her, and yes. in part, I think that's because her specific weird form of Protestantism is like so alien to. It's his a entire life as like <laughs> yeah. a European Jew. Like I just don't think. Yeah, for sure. Like, what is? <laughs> what is all that? of this? What is that? Like she's not even Lutheran, right? Like she's no. something weird. Like it's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> specifically, the way she was raised with the Reverend is culty. It's a cult. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's he's because he's definitely he's off the beaten path. <laughs> For Scott's Presbyterianism, like Put it mildly. Yeah, he's an extremist also, on top of the fact that it's an intrinsically shame-focused and predestination-focused branch of Protestantism. So there's that. She has a confrontation with Reverend Craig when they go to Muir Island because Legion is causing problems, and Rain has this moment of rage. Because Reverend Craig tells her that her mother was a prostitute and she has a lot of trouble with that. Uh, and she refuses to believe him initially. He says, and small wonder I find you in this foul corner of town, like mother, like daughter. And she says, liar, liar. My, my mother was a good woman. She was. She was no dockyard tramp. And turns into a werewolf. And he goes, by the holy road, a creature from the pet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and she says to her friends let's just let legion kill everyone yeah let's just let them destroy the place it's probably fine maybe we deserve it maybe everyone here deserves to die yeah 
all the new mutants are like, qua? Like, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> Beg pardon? Right? Let's, let's try this again, shall we? Be what? And they don't do that, but no. they're all kind of like, that was a weird moment from Rain, huh? There's a kind of darkness in her, actually. Yeah. The thing that she's always telling us is there, and we're like, don't be ridiculous. But wait. There it is. It's a little bit there. A little bit. Then they have a time travel adventure where she teams it with Robert the Bruce. That's really fun. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they show, they like land in the Middle Ages. And yeah. Like basically it's when they're fighting the Magus and magic like spreads them all throughout the time stream by mm-hmm. accident when she's teleporting them. In the Middle Ages, it's like Scotland versus England. And Rain's like, fuck the English. And like, <laughs> <laughs> Correct, immediately, sorry. which I love. <laughs> If nothing else, I can relate to that. Just immediately yeah. being like, anyway, I know where I'm going. Yeah, and Robert the Bruce uh, gives her a necklace that's really beautiful yes. with like an emerald. And uh-huh. it's the most beautiful thing she's ever owned. And she takes it with her to the present and wears it like all the time uh-huh. under her, you know, unitard or whatever. We don't see it again, really. But and then she gives she him a belt and confuses archaeologists for yes. years to come. She gives him her x-men belt with like the x buckle from her training uniform and it's like buried in robert the bruce's tomb or whatever and archaeologists are like that's weird what's this <laughs> weird weird anyone have any this synthetic material shouldn't have been available back then <laughs> this is around when simonson takes over and quickly establishes that rain is developing a crush on doug and Doug likes her back. So for once, it's nice for once. It's working out, but uh like 3 issues later he is murdered by the animator when he jumps in front of Rain to take a bullet for her and she's like, "Doug, don't be ridiculous." And doesn't even notice that he's bleeding to death next to her and uh it's pretty I mean it's pretty brutal. This is following yeah. the mutants. She's sitting there she's like, "Get up." What are you doing? Yeah. She's like, "Get up, dog." You know, and this is one of the better, uh, it's after she's been, you know, there's, there's, there's all the bard brain stuff. Yeah. Bard, bard brain. Bard brain? Bard brain. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's not fun to read particularly. But her stuff with Doug is interesting. Doug is the ultimate in non-threatening boys monthly. Absolutely. Doug as a starter boyfriend for a lesbian makes a ton of sense. So Yeah, perfect sense. Like, that is starter pack lesbian. Yeah, my lesbian read of Rain in the 80s is not complicated by her relationship with Doug. Similarly, like the Wolf Prince, that's not something you could actually have, right? So, like, again, it's an unattainable crush. It's the whole thing of, like, if you've only ever had crushes on fictional men, it's because you can't be with them. (laughs) (laughs) If you only like men who don't exist, you might just be gay. That's fine. Maybe you just don't like men at all. Which, Which that's allowed. It's acceptable. But so Doug dies. Everyone's really devastated. Uh-huh. And then the X-Men all die in Dallas alongside Madeline Pryor, their friend. It's not funny, but also it starts going so well. And then it's like, and now he's dead. <laughs> and now he's dead. And now all the X-Men are dead. And Ilyana is turning into a fucking demon in front of everybody and flipping out and screaming at Magneto. And it's Rain who, when Ilyana is like dark childed out, yes. embraces her and pulls her in. That's when Ilyana like turns back into herself because it mm-hmm. rains like compassion and empathy for her Which through the death of Doug and the such death of Such a good moment. Really good. I'm I'm actually just I'm gonna set it into the chat and you read Rain and I'll read Ilyana. 
Because I'm like, the actually good stuff, I'm like, you should read her dialogue because okay. I can only make it a joke. <laughs> Ileana says, she's talking about Magneto. And she says, I wanted him to protect me even from myself. I, I just wanted to be a kid. And Rain's kind of like reaching for her and goes, nothing's wrong with that, Ileana. But now Doug's gone and your brother and the X-Men are gone too. I don't think we can afford to be kids anymore. And that, I think, is the essential line from the character that carries through the rest of the 80s, which are almost over at this point. This is 1988. Yeah. But it becomes a driving engine for the character. And I can see where David picks that theme up and runs with it, like of her desperately striving to be a grown-up and like it's time to be an adult except just runs with it in the complete opposite direction. yeah and it's also like important to remember i mean not to age discourse but like not that much time has passed she's like 15 max yeah. so there's only so much of an adult you can be at age 15 right yeah. you can think you're super grown up but you would look back as an adult and be like oh oh what was i doing exactly <laughs> The rest of New Mutants plays out with Rain as more of a minor character, honestly. During the Gossamer arc, her wish is granted and it creates a like version of Cannonball in like a Superman cape who's like in love with her. But obviously that's not what she really wants and so like but it's it's what she thinks she wants and so it doesn't it's close really... enough yeah like it's it's an interesting kind of moment for her because it's not Doug that comes back it's something that is so completely unattainable right and that leads into Inferno where she is again the one who has the most empathy for Ileana she is really messed up by visiting Limbo and seeing specifically the child abuse of young Ileana. She has to be restrained from rushing in to rescue Ileana from Sim, (laughs) the child version. Ileana's like, you can't do that. That kid has to grow up to be me. Yeah. Or I will never be able to get you all home. Yeah. It really messes with her. Yeah. And like looking at how she grew up, there's probably part of her there that thinks, yes, it's a chance to rescue Ileana but also there's part of her that thinks of her as a child there and she's like if I could have done that for myself absolutely I I could have have saved myself from Reverend Craig yeah it's because of rain or at least like allegedly because of rain that Ileana turns them away Mm. specifically from the implied sexual abuse yeah because Ileana is very dispassionate about this stuff mostly very disconnected but she's just like I don't think rain should see what's going to happen next and it's rain's innocence that is specifically juxtaposed with Ileana's trauma Mm -hmm. I just really love this story this was one of the first new mutant stories I ever read and so the affection I do have for rain is built on the fact that she's really lovely in this story like she just is you get where she's coming from you get why she behaves the way she does and she is the one who gets the best lines the after best line. <laughs> so good when colossus rips open yeah the armor of the dark child and they find little iliana inside yeah. first there's a line that i find interesting where 
as they see Ilyana transforming further and fighting Sim, <gasps> Sunspot is basically like he becomes concerned that Ilyana is too far gone and that, mm-hmm. that they're actually just hurting the world by continuing to help her. And Rain says about Sim, I hate that monster. He deserves to die for what he's done to her. But still, we have to stop her. Her blind rage, her passion for revenge can only drag her deeper into darkness, which I think, mm-hmm. again, she's talking about herself, right? Like she's, yes. she recognizes the potential for her own violent rage in the dark child. And she eventually dives in deciding she's going to save little Ilyana, no matter what. She's like, I Mm -hmm. don't care if I fuck up the timeline. Our Ilyana can't be saved maybe, but I could save an Ilyana, which Mm -hmm. actually to take it back to last week is what Spiral says about Rita. Spiral's like, I will always exist because that's how the timeline works, but maybe I can save a Rita. Yeah. You know, someone. someone so when Ilyana in her final form is faced by the child Ilyana that Rain has rescued she tries to kill the child Mm -hmm. she says I should destroy you for what you've made of me and Rain goes no Ilyana no that's Limbo's way the way that traps you here if we save her the innocent child you came from might we not save you in the world as well please Ilyana this time you have a choice choice and Eliana is a being made of like incandescent flame at this point and rain is like with her bare hands trying to hold back the dark child (laughs) to save this little girl and tears this is rain's most heroic moment is the thing like it's unfortunate that this happens so early in her character history (laughs) and (laughs) then we just kind of plummet down and down and down and down and down yeah Ilyana is moved by Rain's entreaty and decides to sacrifice herself mm-hmm. when everybody's returned to Earth and the portal is closed. All that is left is the charred armor of the mm-hmm. Dark Child. Colossus is devastated. Rain says, Sam, come quick. It's the wee babe, Ilyana. I've lost her. Mm-hmm. Because the little girl has disappeared and Rain feels like she's failed. Yes. She's devastated by it. Like, this really rassles her. Absolutely. And she's explaining to Danny. And again, like, I'm just going to make you read this dialogue because it's so yeah. fucking good. Yeah, the way she's, like, kneeling over the armor that's left. Mm-hmm. With Colossus. Yeah. And just goes, she wasn't the dark child. At the end, she was an angel, a being of light, burning so bright you could hardly stand to look at her. She sacrificed herself and saved the whole world. And all the time, she was a wee child too. I held her in my arms so tightly while the light child burned. And then I couldn't feel her in my arms anymore. And she's sobbing into Danny at this point. Oh, Danny, I must have let go of her. Somehow I lost her. The smoke cleared and there was her charred armor, that empty shell. Pyotr Nikolaevich. <laughs> and that's when Colossus tears open the armor and they find the little girl on it inside. She shouts Pyotr and throws her arms around his neck. And Danny says, Rain, look. She's stammering, just kind of goes, Eliana, and turns and holds her arms out for her and catches her as she runs to her. Cannonball says, she said she was empty and sad, but she was wrong. The innocent kid inside was there all along waiting to get out. And Richter says, 
But because she saved her younger self, does this mean the Ileana you knew, the teenage Ileana, never existed? No, that's impossible. We knew her. We remember her. Maybe we'll never know what it means, except because of her sacrifice, Earth has been saved. And this last line, Avery is clutching the child Ileana to her and crying. And your life will stretch before you like a golden path filled with the promise of all that is wonderful. And then Nastir says, and so it ends. <laughs> Just like, what a tone change, Nastir. Thank you. <laughs> but they, they don't know that Nastir is like narrating up in the corner. Telling the vibe. Yeah. And he's like, don't worry, I've still got a goblin queen. It's going to be great. <laughs> this scene is, to me, that is the best of Rain Sinclair. She saves Ilyana's soul. And some of the most moving stuff. And not with like religious moralism. She saves Ileana by loving her and being her friend and being compassionate and yeah. empathetic with her. And reaching out for her. And identifying with her as a fellow traumatized child, right? Yeah. It's just really good. So good. Unfortunately, little Ileana's <laughs> life does not stretch out before her like a golden path. It really doesn't, know. And uh, <laughs> she'll, be, she'll be dead in about three years of the legacy virus. And Rain never really gets a moment like this again she just no. doesn't because after the inferno the new mutants decide that they don't trust magneto anymore because they saw him conspiring with the hellfire club when the hellfire club was talking to nastir mm -hmm. so they end up joining forces with the exterminators including richter who are x-factors wards and they move into ship where x-factor lives the sentient spaceship don't worry about it right now there's a love triangle then between Rain, Richter, and Boom Boom, which is extremely funny in retrospect. Exhausting for me. <laughs> it's just like Boom Boom and Wolfsbane fighting over this homosexual. It's very funny. It's very funny. But I'm also like, Rain, you're also homosexual. Like, right, you're also gay, Rain. Like, anyway, so they all end up back in Asgard for, listen, I love Wheezy, but that return to Asgard arc is dire. <laughs> the critical thing there is that Danny gets possessed by Hela and it's a whole mess but then once it's all resolved Danny decides to stay behind with the Valkyries to help rebuild <laughs> and Rain is devastated like having to leave Krimhari the Wolf Prince behind again does not care for the Wolf Prince she's like sure fine whatever done this already I'll mess you you know but then, like, Danny's guess, like whatever. I'm also staying and she freaks freaks out this is it Earth shattering, can't do it, can't imagine anything worse. They get back to Earth and slutty Moira, who is now under the influence of the Shadow King, is like, Ren Sinclair, you're not learning anything at that school. I'm going to take you away back to Muir Island. But this is when they've all met Cable. Yes. Moira has a history with Cable that is not disclosed to us immediately. No. See the Cable episode, I go into that. Moira taught him English and like other stuff that, I mean, I would enjoy... Again, like in the modern era, we should maybe revisit some of that would be cool. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that we're about to get a lot of new Moira content yes. coming out of Axe, AXE. So Judgment Day. So I'm excited to see what happens there. But Cable convinces Slutty Moira to let Rain hang out. And also like her helicopter gets blown up. So Rain stays behind with everybody. And she starts dating Richter, like officially. But then she and Richter and Warlock and Boom Boom are kidnapped by the Genosian government and held hostage by Cameron Hodge in the franchise-wide event Extinction Agenda. This is 1991. This is the last Louise Simonson story on New Mutants. Rain refuses to go to safety because Warlock 
is still captured. She like lies to Richter, who's like, go to safety. And she's like, oh, well. And then she runs back to save Warlock. <laughs> yeah. Which absolutely. like heroic of her. Like I, I approve of this course of action. Yeah. But it ends badly for her. That's not great. She does manage to prevent Hodge from absorbing Warlock's powers. Yes. But Warlock still dies, which is sad for everybody. And I think that must be where, like, TBD on this on a Cameron Hodge episode when I dig into that at some point, which, like, God help me, that's going to be... That's going to be an episode. That's going to be dark, yeah. yeah. But there is, to me, an implication that maybe this is when he tapped into the phalanx, right? So, like, yeah. she didn't quite succeed, but in the short term, she did. Yeah. Delete some things. Yeah, you know. So Hodge, who's pissed because his beautiful wickedness has been disrupted, then hands over Rain to the gene engineer, the gene engineer. I never know how to say it. The gene engineer, who's like the bad evil scientist guy. He's literally Dr. Moreau is the name of the character, which is like not so funny, but no attempt at subtlety there. They turn her into one of the Genosian mutates designated 490. This term is always a little confusing for people who didn't follow these stories back in the day because mutate in the Marvel Universe generally means a character like Spider-Man who develops a power from a mutation, but it isn't an X-gene mutant. Not a mutant. Right. This is mutate in one of the two other ways the term is used in the Marvel Universe, which is the Savage Land mutates are also called mutates because they predate the concept of the X-Gene and I think are just like Cro-Magnons with an X-Gene who've been artificially evolved, is my read on those characters, but no one's ever really bothered to explain it too deeply. (laughs) And then the mutates on Genosha who are brainwashed slaves who have their heads shaved and their memories futzed with and are put in these skin suit wetsuit unitard kind of things that they can't take off mm-hmm. and are dehumanized in this really horrific way in the genosian apartheid allegory that's going on there rain is turned to mutate 490 and is yes. put on international television to declare her crimes against the Genosian state and tell them that she has agreed to become a mutate voluntarily and the Genosian government's so great and she's going to help them arrest all of her friends and it's pretty horrible. Yeah, which like she's on international TV confessing to her sins is what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is rough for her. It's rough for her. (laughs) That's the thing she's sensitive about. When she does manage to turn into her werewolf form, she finds that it breaks the mutate condition. So she helps everybody win. In the end, Richter buries Cameron Hodge under some rubble, apparently forever. And it would have been forever if the phalanx hadn't pulled him out. So, you know, well done. Win some, lose some. (laughs) Critically, when Rain is mutate 490, every mutate is bonded in the brainwashing process to one of the Genosian magistrates, and she is bonded to Havoc, who came out of the siege perilous with no memories and was radicalized into a Genosian magistrate. He sure was. So that is, we, you know, again, go back to the Havoc episode for more on that, but Havoc and Betsy are the two who are judged really harshly by the siege perilous. Yeah, real rough. Like Rogue and Colossus in particular are given happy endings. Yeah, so far as the siege sees them. And Dazzler, it's pretty neutral. It's just sort of like, we're just going to spit you out. You got no memories. Get those memories back, girl. But like, she's. Here's a fresh slate. Try again. 
She lands at Lila Cheney's house, though. Like, it's not, it doesn't send her anywhere scary. The siege sends Betsy right into the clutches of the hand and sends Alex to Genosha to be like, oh, you hate yourself? Like, why don't you become a fascist who oppresses your own people? Because you don't know you're a mutant. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad for him. Not his finest moment. He's Rain's slave master in their, like, brainwashed state, which will play out as her main plot for most of the 90s. So long. Um, So at the end of Extinction Agenda, Havoc, who's ashamed now that he remembers who he is, decides he's going to stay behind on Genosha and help with the transition of power to the new government that will be a non-apartheid government. Like, they've taken out the gene engineer and his people and Hodge. Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, okay, that makes sense. And then they're all getting ready to leave, and Rain, who's still in werewolf mode, is like, I'm also going to stay. Yeah. Richter is really devastated and rain is like someone has to make sure that the that like this new government is going to follow through on its promises to not oppress mutants and that something good comes out of all of this yeah like what happened to me and everything and it's in part because she now cannot turn back to her human form without the mutate conditioning taking over her brain and brainwashing her again yeah she cannot exist in her human form except as like a mindless drone mm-hmm. So now her default form that she has to stay in is her werewolf form, which is something she's fought against always, right? Yes. So that's an interesting direction to take the character. Like, I don't... I don't hate that part. Much as it's upsetting, I don't hate what happens to her in Extinction Agenda. I'm yeah. like, this is illogical. Like, forcing the character to face the things about themselves that they don't want to face is the best thing you can do with a character. Yeah, that's good. That all bodes well. Unfortunately, that's not what happens next. I mean, it doesn't bode well in the sense that she gets written out of the book. Yeah. But this is the very end of New Mutants, basically, before Liefeld reboots into X-Force. Yes. And replaces her with Feral, a character that he created. Yeah. So I think his royalty rate on her was higher. That's my... I would imagine so, because very similar. She also doesn't have any of the baggage and continuity... Yes. So, like, you know, he he mostly does away with the older characters in the mm-hmm. transition to X-Force. So I think it's just generally a, a deck clearing. But the other option is that maybe Peter David had already earmarked the character for the relaunch of X-Factor, which spins out of Genosha mm-hmm. and is led by Havoc, who Valerie Cooper approaches. And that, I think, we'll dig into... After we pause for the Cerebro character file on Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, I will take you through her complete publication history from Marvel graphic novel number four, The New Mutants in 1982, up through her most recent appearances in the Krakoan Age. Then we will come back for more of Rebecca Gall. We will go through all of Rain's incredibly bad storylines and then answer questions from listeners like you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Hey everybody, we're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game, every comic fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor, to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War and the Real-Time Arena. 
Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I, for one, can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show. X-Men, X-Men. Rain Sinclair, better known by the codename Wolfsbane, was introduced as the ingenue of the classic New Mutants before going on to become one of the X-Men franchise's absolute messiest characters. A repressed Scottish girl raised by a religious fundamentalist, Rain believes herself damned because of her mutation, which makes her akin to the werewolves of legend. She's adopted by the X-Men's ally Dr. Moira McTaggart, who sends her to Xavier's for training. Over years with the New Mutants, X-Factor, Excalibur, X-Force, and the X-Men, Rain's storyline becomes a never-ending parade of brainwashing, trauma, and bad behavior. Now, on Krakoa, she's trying to get back to basics. Rain makes her debut in 1982's Marvel graphic novel number 4, The New Mutants, and continues as a regular cast member in the ongoing title to follow. A young teenage girl from the Highlands of Scotland, Rain is an orphan raised by the cruel Reverend Craig, a zealous Scots Presbyterian fanatic. When we first meet her, she's being pursued by a lynch mob led by the Reverend, as her mutant power has catalyzed and she's become a werewolf-like creature. Stumbling to fall at the feet of Dr. Moira McTaggart, Rain finds a protector. They're on Kinra's land, the land of Moira's laird father, and she refuses to allow the mob to trespass. Moira, who we learn delivered Rain when she was born, then adopts Rain as her daughter and takes the girl to Westchester to be trained by Charles Xavier. Rain and Xavier's other new student, Karma, help him and Moira travel the world to gather the class that will become the New Mutants. Rain bonds quickly with Danny Moonstar, as Moonstar's psychic connection with animals grants them an intimate psychic rapport when Rain is in wolf form. During the New Mutants' first mission, a conflict with Donald Pierce of the Hellfire Club, Rain's apparently mortally wounded, but recovers due to a low-level healing factor. Taking the codename Wolfsbane, she becomes the anxious little sister of the team, convinced by her fundamentalist upbringing that her mutation marks her as a creature of evil. She's more of a supporting character than a true lead, usually sticking close to Moonstar or nursing a crush on Cannonball. She takes the apparent death of Karma particularly hard. In a Marvel team-up annual written by Bill Mantlo, she and her classmate Sunspot are drugged by a street gang with the same narcotic that empowered the hero's cloak and dagger. This leaves them monstrously transformed, but Dagger is able to heal them. Back in the pages of New Mutants, Rain joins her teammates on an expedition to the Amazon jungle with Sunspot's archaeologist mother. When they're attacked by a group of indigenous women, they're able to take one of them, a girl named Amara, as a hostage. Rain, believing Amara can't speak English, confesses her anxieties and insecurities in front of her. But when a fall into the river reveals Amara is actually a white blonde girl in disguise, who does speak English, Rain feels betrayed. The kids end up in Nova Roma, Amara's home, a long-lost colony of ancient Romans who settled in the New World after the death of Caesar. The Nova Romans venerate Rain as a goddess due to her resemblance to the she-wolf from the Roman origin myth. Eventually, the New Mutants return home after battling the wicked immortal Selene, who has ruled Nova Roma from the shadows for centuries. Amara joins them, her New Mutant powers over lava having catalyzed during that conflict. The New Mutants return to Westchester, where Rain is quickly troubled by their newest teammate, Ilyana Rasputina, a.k.a. Magic, who is a literal demon sorceress. She does make a new friend in Sharon Smith, a.k.a. Cat's Eye, part of the rival Hellions team taught by Emma Frost. 
In New Mutants 21, Slumber Party, Rain allows Ilyana and the other girls to give her a makeover for the titular party. She looks beautiful, so beautiful that Cannonball doesn't recognize her, leaving her embarrassed and angry. When the alien called Warlock attacks the party, confused and fleeing for his life, Rain is the first to reach out to him and offer compassion. In the next arc, the weird cloak and dagger drug situation from the Marvel team-up annual comes back, and Sunspot and Rain start having side effects. Rain begins transforming into a beautiful feminine woman with long hair, and eventually attacks cloak and dagger in a fit of madness. Then it gets fixed. Don't worry about it, honestly. Rain visits Mirror Island with some of her classmates eager to visit Moira, but on the way she has an unpleasant reunion with Reverend Craig. Later, when the New Mutants are in Asgard, Rain falls in love with Hrimhari the Wolf Prince, an Asgardian wolf god. While she longs to stay with him, she won't trap the rest of her friends in Asgard, so she returns to Earth with the others. Shortly thereafter, the kids are murdered and resurrected by the cosmic entity called the Beyonder, which leaves them in a catatonic fugue state. Emma Frost is eventually able to restore their minds with the help of their headmaster Magneto. Rain decides to visit Moira again and is attacked by one of Legion's evil personalities. The new mutants come to the rescue, but when Reverend Craig blames Rain for the carnage and reveals his disdain for her mother, a prostitute who died in childbirth, a darker side of Rain feels compelled to let Legion destroy the whole town. She ultimately relents, but her friends are left disturbed. In a backup story in Classic X-Men 2, a young Rain misses the bus and accepts a ride to school from Moira McTaggart, who comes across her on horseback. Reverend Craig is outraged. Back in the present, the New Mutants battle Warlock's father, the alien despot called the Magus, and magic accidentally disperses them through the time stream. They land in medieval Scotland, where Rain doesn't hesitate to join Robert the Bruce in battling the English. To thank her before she leaves, Robert gives Rain an emerald necklace that she treasures. Under new writer Louise Simonson, Rain develops a crush on her teammate Doug Ramsey, aka Cypher, who has feelings for her in turn. This potential romance ends in tragedy when Birdbrain, a bird-human hybrid Rain insists the New Mutants help, accidentally leads them all into a battle with his creator, the Animator. Doug takes a bullet meant for Rain, and she's devastated by his death. Upon their return to the mansion, the New Mutants discover the X-Men have also apparently been killed as part of the franchise-wide event, Fall of the Mutants. The following year, the franchise-wide event Inferno sees Rain's worst nightmares realized as the demons of Limbo are loosed on Earth. Trapped in limbo for a time, the New Mutants witness Magic's abusive childhood there, and Rain wants nothing more than to save the little girl who will grow up to be Magic. By the end of the event, Rain convinces teenage Ilyana, who's been transformed fully into the diabolical Dark Child, to try to save her younger self. Magic sacrifices herself, ending the invasion of Earth, but also erasing herself from existence. Rain and Magic's brother Colossus are shocked and overjoyed to discover the child Ilyana trapped within the Dark Child's armor, as though she had never fallen into limbo. No longer trusting Magneto after witnessing him parley with the demon Mastyr alongside the Hellfire Club, Rain and the New Mutants abandon the Xavier School and join the Exterminators, Wards of X-Factor, on their sentient spaceship. Rain is immediately drawn to one of them, Julio Richter, a.k.a. Richter. The combined team is soon drawn back to Asgard, where Rain has a brief reunion with Hrimhari the Wolf Prince, but is left reeling when her soulmate Danny Moonstar decides to stay behind to help the Valkyries. Rain seeks comfort in Richter, sparking a love triangle with their teammate Boom Boom. Upon their return to Earth, the New Mutants cross paths with the mysterious time-traveler Cable, who becomes their new mentor. Moira McTaggart, now under the influence of the Shadow King, attempts to summon Rain back to Muir Island, but a shared history with Cable compels her to leave Rain in his care. Rain and Richter begin formally dating, but it all goes wrong in the 1991 franchise-wide event Extinction Agenda, Louise Simonson's final New Mutants story. Rain and Richter are among the heroes kidnapped by the Genosian government and its new overlord, Cameron Hodge. While Richter is able to escape, Rain rushes back into the fray in an attempt to rescue Warlock. She's able to prevent Hodge from stealing Warlock's shapeshifting powers, but the alien new mutant is apparently killed. Rain is then tortured and brainwashed into becoming Mutate 490, one of the many Genosian mutate slaves who serve the apartheid government. 
She is bound to one of the magistrates. Actually, the X-Man Havoc, amnesiac after passing through the mystical gate called the Siege Perilous, don't worry about it right now, and compelled to declare her supposed crimes on international television. When Rain manages to take on her half-wolf form, the brainwashing abruptly clears, and she's able to help her friends defeat Hodge and his goons. With the Genosian state in upheaval, Rain shocks Richter and the rest of the team by declaring she intends to stay behind with Havoc in order to ensure a peaceful transfer of power. She discovers that when she reverts to human form, she's immediately thrust back into the brainwashed mutate state. This leaves her trapped in her werewolf form, apparently for good. Rain and Havoc then both pivot into the relaunch of X-Factor by writer Peter David. Government official Valerie Cooper recruits Havoc to lead her new iteration of X-Factor, and Rain tags along. It quickly becomes clear that she's strangely obsessed with Havoc, as she begins stalking him and bitterly resents his girlfriend Polaris. Unbeknownst to Rain or her comrades, this is due to residual imprinting from the Genosian slave bonding process. When X-Factor is dispatched to the war-torn country of Trans-Sabal to assist its beleaguered government, Rain ends up killing one of the rebels when she's driven into a rage by his own violence. It is the first time Rain has ever killed another person, and she's deeply disturbed. She keeps this to herself. Another secret for Rain to keep comes up not long afterward, when X-Factor is asked to protect the abortion clinic of a bigoted geneticist, Dr. Tucker, who claims to have found a way to determine whether a fetus will become a mutant. Dr. Tucker is assassinated by the Mutant Liberation Front, and as he lays dying, he asks Rain to send his research to the government. She destroys it instead, to ensure no one can replicate his test. In the franchise white event Executioner's Song, Rain's strange behavior continues. Reunited with Richter during a battle between X-Factor and her former teammates, the New Mutants, now called X-Force, Rain is so overcome by lust during a kiss with Richter that she bites him. She feels bad, but not too bad, because she helps X-Factor apprehend X-Force and take them into custody until the end of the event. In Peter David's final 90s arc on X-Factor, the team visits Genosha, and Rain's weird, lusty behavior continues as she tries to seduce her teammate Jamie Madrox, the multiple man. On Genosha, she encounters Moira, who's there trying to help the former slaves cope with an outbreak of the legacy virus. Moira runs some tests on Rain and determines that her mutation has started to make her more sexually voracious because she's a dog or something, I don't know. But also, they figure out that she's still slave-bonded to Havoc, and that's why she's crazy! Rain is outraged that Moira seems to care more about the people who are dying of the legacy virus, so she viciously berates Moira and calls her a bad mother. Under new writer J.M. Demetrius, Rain struggles with her slave bond to Havoc and her general sexy problems until the team battles the insane mutant healer Ratha Dastor, a.k.a. Haven, who is able to cure all of Rain's issues. Unfortunately, Haven cannot cure the legacy virus, of which Multiple Man is dying. At his funeral, Rain reconciles with Moira. In the 1994 franchise wet event Phalanx Covenant, Rain is shocked by an independent techno-organic being who emerges from the Phalanx Hive, Doug Locke, apparently a resurrected Doug Ramsey with the powers of Warlock. He claims he's not Doug, but Rain is convinced he is. After this event, Rain, Moira, and Doug Locke become regular cast members in Excalibur under writer Warren Ellis, as part of an editorial revamp refocusing that title into a British X-Men team based on Muir Island. Rain decides to leave X-Factor and accompany Moira because Moira has become the first human to contract the legacy virus. When Reverend Craig begins tormenting a young mutant girl named Bridget Shane, Rain digs into his past and realizes that both she and Bridget are his biological children. She blackmails him into leaving Bridget alone. After Alice's departure from the book, new writer Ben Robb establishes a growing romance between Rain and Doug Locke, even as she comes to accept that he is not truly Doug Ramsey resurrected. Toward the end of the run of Excalibur, Moira decides to lock herself into a sealed vault as her legacy infection progresses. Rain refuses to let her go alone and forces her way into the vault before it's sealed, leaving herself dangerously exposed to legacy. Douglock spends several issues breaking the vault open, infuriating Rain as this disrupts Moira's research. Moira eventually convinces Rain to forgive Douglock, and they all attend Captain Britain and Megan's wedding in the final issue of the book. 
In the 2001 franchise wide event Dream's End, written by Reigns creator Chris Claremont, Muir Island is attacked by Mystique's new brotherhood of evil mutants. Mystique mortally wounds Moira and shoots Rain with a prototype depowering gun, apparently taking away her mutant powers forever. Rain is left reeling both from her power loss and the death of her adoptive mother. She and Danny Moonstar reunite for an X-Men Unlimited story in which they recover her emerald necklace from muggers, but then she pivots into the new volume of New Mutants written by Nunzio DeFilippis and Christina Weir, where, who oh boy, Rain returns to Xavier's as a very different person, now a biker chick in racy alternative fashions and working hard to suppress her Scottish accent. She's able to take out the villain Avalanche without any powers, which impresses her old friends Moonstar and Karma, much as they're perturbed by the changes in her personality. Rain immediately becomes a bad influence on the new students at Xavier's, encouraging them to break rules. She begins a flirtation with the underage student Elixir, Moonstar's legal ward, who kisses Rain, his own healing powers abruptly restoring her mutation. Rain accidentally wounds Elixir when she transforms, but this doesn't dampen their connection. Despite being hired as a teacher at the Institute, Rain secretly continues her affair with Elixir against her better judgment. She eventually breaks up with him, but is fiercely jealous when he begins dating his classmate Wallflower. A brief detour then as Rain travels to Mutant Town in Peter David's miniseries Madrox, where she assists her old friend Multiple Man, who got better, with his new detective agency. Rain accidentally kills a guy again, which leaves her pretty upset, again. When she returns to the pages of Academy X, she starts hooking up with Elixir once more. Another student, Wither, witnesses the affair this time and reports Rain to headmasters Cyclops and Emma Frost. Moonstar doesn't believe the allegations, but Rain admits it and quits before she can be dismissed. She leaves the school to go join Madrox as part of the cast of Peter David's new ongoing title, X-Factor Investigations. Richter is also there after losing his powers in the decimation, and Rain is not very helpful when he attempts suicide in the first issue, haranguing him as a sinner. She's left disturbed some issues later when the villain Damien Tripp shows her a vision of the future in which she murders Madrox and his bride Layla Miller on their wedding night. Rain keeps this to herself, and her relationship with Richter grows more complicated. Eventually they have sex, but the next morning Rain says it was a mistake and she did it out of pity. It's all pretty fucked up. In the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex, Rain helps Richter infiltrate the anti-mutant Christian organization called the Purifiers, who are pursuing the mutant Messiah Hope, the first mutant baby to be born since the decimation. Rain is horrified to discover Reverend Craig is in league with the Purifiers. She also kills someone by accident, again, and is upset, again. Kind of a running theme. Anyway, she decides to quit X-Factor Investigations and leaves a note for Richter before joining Cyclops' new secret Black Ops team in a new volume of X-Force written by Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost. She's swiftly captured by the Purifiers, and Reverend Craig begins to brainwash her while pumping her full of heroin. She's rescued by X-Force, including her former flame Elixir, who's brought in by Angel to heal her. Rain, it turns out, has been specifically brainwashed to attack Angel, and she goes into a maddened bloodlust in which she chews his wings off. Returning the purifiers with the wings, which they seek to weaponize, Rain is given to Reverend Craig for execution. She breaks free, confronting Reverend Craig again in a lab where he ends up standing in front of Angel's severed wings. Rain's purifier programming activates automatically, and she rips her biological father to pieces. While recuperating at Angel's Eerie and being deprogrammed telepathically, Rain is surprised by a visit from Himari the Wolf Prince, who's on Earth now following Ragnarok. They fuck raw on Angel's porch for like three days. Eventually, they're attacked by frost giants, but don't worry about it. Rain's hurt pretty bad, so Himari tries to bring her to the mutant haven Utopia so Elixir can heal her. Unfortunately, Selene is attacking Utopia in the franchise-wide event Necrotia, and Elixir is non-responsive in a coma. Dr. Nemesis is able to determine that Rain is pregnant, and her Asgardian god baby is killing her from the inside. Himari summons Hela, Asgardian goddess of the dead, and sells his soul to her in exchange for a life. Hela asks him to choose between Rain and their baby, but he surprises her by choosing Elixir. 
Once Elixir is healed, he's able to restore Rain and reinforce her body so she can withstand the divine pregnancy. Primhari is dragged off to Hela's kingdom to be her slave. Anyway, Rain's magical pregnancy accelerates rapidly, and by the time she returns to Peter David's X-Factor investigations, she looks about seven months pregnant, despite only being some weeks along. Going to visit Richter, she finds him just as he's about to have sex with his male lover, Shatterstar. Driven to sudden homophobic madness, Rain tackles Shatterstar out the window. Eventually, once things have calmed down, Richter asks if Rain's baby is his, and Rain deceives him into believing that this is the case. An ultrasound quickly determines, however, that the baby is magical and invisible, so she has to come clean. This whole arc is so gross, guys. Rain's baby is of mystical significance or whatever, so she starts getting attacked by demons and gods and all sorts of stuff. I don't want to talk about this. Eventually, an Asgardian demigod captures her and chains her up, and she goes into labor and gives birth out of her mouth. Why? I don't know. She just does. Hacks that baby right up. The little wolf baby, Tyr, is self-aware and violent from birth, and a traumatized Rain rejects him. He disappears with Jack Russell, the werewolf by night, and Rain falls into a deep depression as she believes she's failed as a mother. Not long after this, Jamie Madrox is killed by wolf claws, just as Damien Tripp had predicted, but it's actually Venora, Rain and Hermari's female child from an alternate universe, and you don't have to worry about this because I simply refuse. Madrox gets better, it turns out that Rain's rapidly aging magical son is being pursued by all the demon lords in creation because whomsoever kills him will become ruler of hell. This storyline is absolutely dire and goes on for approximately one million issues. Eventually, Strong Guy, who has lost his soul for reasons, don't worry about it right now, murders Tyr and becomes king of hell, leaving Rain once again devastated and crazy. Rain's time with X-Factor Investigations ends with her becoming a penitent employee at the church of Father John Maddox, a Madrox dupe who has become a priest. A year later, Rain attends Madrox's funeral when he dies of M-Pox, but we don't cover Inhumans vs. X-Men on this podcast. Later that year, Rain returns in the company-wide event Secret Empire in X-Men Blue, written by Cullen Bunn. She's one of many mutant refugees living in Emma Frost's haven, New Tian, after Hydra conquers America. Rain is affected by the artificial virus called Mothervine, do not worry about Mothervine, and develops a very stupid secondary mutation, enabling her to split herself into a whole pack of wolves. The following year, Rain is part of the miniseries New Mutants Dead Souls, written by Matthew Rosenberg, which reunites her with some of her old friends, including an apologetic strong guy who has his soul back. It's overall a fun read. Rosenberg then brings her to his run on Uncanny X-Men in 2019, wherein she's recruited by Cyclops to join the last X-Men after most of the mutant heroes are apparently killed by Nate Gray. Rain doesn't stay with the team long because she decides she's tired of being a monster. She quits and ends up accosted by some frat boys in a park who panic and beat her to death when they realize she's a mutant. This story is a lot. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Rain is one of many mutants resurrected on the new island sovereign nation Krakoa by the circuit called the Five. Rain initially seems to have regressed to a younger version of herself, but after an adventure in space with her old classmates, she sinks into a depression. In a new run of New Mutants by Vita Ayala and Rod Rice, she reveals that her son Tyr apparently cannot be resurrected by the Krakoan process, because there's no proof of his death. She becomes bent on finding a way to resurrect him, and briefly falls prey to the machinations of Amal Farouk the Shadow King, who uses her as a weapon against young mutants in her care. At the moment, Rain is accompanying Danny and Ilyana, and Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, to Limbo, where they hope to liberate magic from the clutches of the Hell Dimension once and for all. What will become of Rain's own trauma, and her magical half-god wolf son, apparently lost to her forever, remains to be seen. But with her thought-dead mother, Moira McTaggart, now the mutant's greatest enemy, her story may have only just begun. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. Welcome back to 
The Rain Sinclair episode already in progress. I'm here with Rebecca Galt. B, how you doing? You having a good time? I think this is going well. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, I'm having a great time. Love a, a feral little wolf. Yeah, it's always a good time. So uh, we left off with the transition to X Factor. This is a good book, I think. Like, I do like mm-hmm. Peter David's initial run on X Factor. It has aged in places, like, politically, in ways... It's it's a very Clinton administration era kind of book. It's very third way. It's, it's all of its time. Yeah, it's very, uh, like, liberalism of its time, <laughs> neoliberalism of its time. But there's a lot of interesting character work in it that I like. It's a particularly good book for Polaris, who's a character I really love. So that always intrigued me. But basically... Havoc doesn't want to join Val Cooper's little squad until she's like, well, Lorna's going to be in it. And then Havoc's like, okay, suddenly I'm actually in I'm there. I don't know. Val does not invite Rain to join, but Rain just kind of shows up. Rain goes. Yeah, she's there. Yeah. She's like, I'll come with Havoc, actually. Alex and I'll come. I'll be there. Uh, that's fine. I can come. The rest of the team is multiple man, Quicksilver, and Strong Guy. The rest of them start to notice pretty quickly that Rain is weirdly obsessed with alex she's being a bit weird it's fine (laughs) she's just being super weird she uh starts stalking him basically Mm -hmm. she hates polaris for no particular reason sort of wildly oscillates between hating polaris and also being a bit obsessed with her yeah like being like we should be best friends but also i hate you i hate you so much i hate you so much but i didn't can why i hate polaris (laughs) And it's like not, you know, it's not great. Everyone's kind of like, this can't be healthy. It's not. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. She's stuck in her werewolf form, as we said. So mm-hmm. this is when she starts, because it's the 90s, learning how to shapeshift into a sexy werewolf form <sighs> because she wants to be hot so that Alex will notice her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She doesn't really turn into the full wolf form anymore because she gets, like, too hyped up Mm post-Genosha and doesn't want to hurt people. So she really is mostly just in half-werewolf form, which is part of why she and Feral are so difficult to tell apart in the 90s visually because she also gets Feral's triangle haircut in werewolf form, which, like, (laughs) she's had previously. I guess guess Rain did have that first in werewolf form, but... I, I hate it when they make it sexy, though. I'm it, like, oh. Just this big, sexy triangle head werewolf. It just gets, the triangle gets bigger and bigger. But anyway, there's a whole crisis with some refugees or rebels in, a, like, Balkan state or something. It's like Transabal or something like that. Yeah, Sabal. Rain argues with one of the freedom fighter rebel guys about like rights for women. That guy ends up killing his sister by accident. Yeah. Which really twerks off Rain because the sister was nice to her and uh, she rips the guy into pieces. She sure does. Like just tears him limb from limb. She, she just goes off. Yeah. And it is the first time Rain has ever killed a human being. Mm-hmm. And she is really freaked out about it. She's not coping too well. Yeah, no one witnesses it. But Quicksilver is like, you seem weird. What's going on with you? And she's just like, I'm going to be damned to hell, Quicksilver. I'm damned. I'm a reprobate. I'm going to the pet. You know, and he's just like, 
okay, because Quicksilver doesn't like these people or care no. particularly, so he just is not paying a ton of attention. But it's just like, sure, I guess. He's but like, also, all right, that girl's annoying, but like, you know, she's not having, she's having a bad time, basically. Also, she thought that before. It's just some more evidence to put in her little pile. Yes. She does have a cool little story. Oh, first, Cannonball turns up. Yes, he does. Cannonball assumes that she's working for the government in X Factor because they've brainwashed her just like the Genosians did, which is a fun bit of Sam, like, not trusting the government. My people fought with the Confederacy. Remember that line? He, like, <laughs> which he didn't mean it in a slavery way. Just in a, No, but... My favorite is still Eliana looking at me going, great. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. She's just like, you never read a history book, did you? Like, you know Also, like, you were in Kentucky. The Confederacy wasn't in Kentucky, but... No. He's just saying some things. He's just saying things. But, um, anyway, so, he is in his, like, libertarian mode that he gets into sometimes. Yeah. Not, not trusting that government. When he confronts Rain, he's really surprised that, like, she doesn't even think about Richter and is obsessed with Alex. Obsessed. Which is like, weird. Yeah. Like a whole ADHD hyperfixation going on. And this is when X-Force are like terrorists who are wanted by the government. So Lorna captures him in like a force bubble and Rain yes. convinces her though, like he's my friend, please let him go. And, and Lorna <laughs> Please don't do this. Not really. Okay, fine, 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 fine. But then Rain gets a pretty cool story, which is the story yes. I've talked about a couple times in the show, which is about Tempo's father. Yes. I like Dr. This Tucker. This is a good one. This story is great. This is in X Factor 78. Yes. Tempo's real name is Heather Tucker. She's the MLF member who's now one of the Marauders. She contacts a man named Dr. Tucker. Their relationship is not explicitly rendered on the page, but it's pretty clearly her father from whom she is estranged. Yes. Dr. Tucker is an anti-mutant bigot. He's a geneticist, but he's specifically working in like obstetrics. Mm-hmm. And he has developed a test that he claims can determine whether or not your pregnancy will result in a child with the X gene and has also developed a gene therapy that can prevent an X gene from manifesting, much like the Moira McTaggart cure that we're all concerned about now. I was going to say, I wonder who we've heard that from lately. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's very much... uh, It would have been fun if... uh, I, I don't blame... Hickman at all for making up new characters to list as like Moira's accomplices in that project. But there are a couple names I think it would have been cool. Like if Kavita Rao and like so-and-so Tucker had been on that list, I would have been like, it would have been a cute Easter egg, but it's fine. (laughs) Point is Tempo calls Dr. Tucker in advance because the MLF is going to attack his clinic and he basically tells her to fuck off. So the MLF attacks the clinic and they kill the shit out of him. Yeah. They absolutely kill the shit out of him. Yeah. This is just a really interesting story because like the MLF attacks an abortion clinic, Mm -hmm. but it's not because they don't approve of abortion. It's because the abortion clinic is being used for eugenics. Yes. It's a very complicated story that I think is really interesting. Anyway, Dr. Tucker is dying and rain. Dying real bad. Yeah. Oh, he's dying rough. (laughs) It's not great. It's not great. Rain, who's been separated from everybody else, is the one who finds him in the lab. Mm -hmm. He's like literally dying and says to her, like, here are my files. You need to give them to the government. Mm -hmm. And then he dies. 
and she has a think about it. Yeah, because she's working for the government. Like she, and then she's like, "I don't think I will actually." Yeah, and she actually destroys all the computer equipment so that no one can replicate Tucker's gene therapy. Which good for her. Oh yeah, great choice. Absolutely great choice. But it's an interesting beat of it's an interesting point of characterization for her. Unfortunately, it's just not really followed. No, up on it's, ever. it's fun there, and then. But in the modern era, once we do get a Rain and Moira story, the fact that Rain once betrayed a dying man and her employers to destroy research on a cure for mutation might be an interesting thing to come back up. I don't know. Especially now that Tempo's an important character again. Yeah. Makes me think she's maybe not going to be too keen in this whole cure yeah, situation. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll think Moira was a bad, bad girl, you know? So... <laughs> It's just an interesting thing. Rain continues to just be super insane. She is really wild to Polaris. It just gets crazier and crazier. At one point, she actually, like, attacks Lorna, which everybody gets, like, really freaked out about. And then Executioner's Song pops off, where they end up fighting X-Force. And when she's reunited with Richter, he pulls her in for a kiss. And she She gets so (laughs) horny in her werewolf horniness that she bites his lip and like splits it open with her face. Yeah. Just bites him. Yeah, that really dumps cold water on Richter's like brain. Maybe get back together. But he also in this scene knocks her on her ass with his powers to protect Shatterstar. Yes. So this is where that Come on, element kind of, is the first time Rain's met Shatterstar, I think. So it's yeah, there's a lot going on here in this scene. X-Factor helps apprehend X-Force. They get locked up down in the basement at Xavier's. But then when Executioner's Song is over, we get the last Peter David stories on the book, which involve a trip to Genosha. Mm -hmm. They check in on everything, given that Havoc and Rain did not actually stay. (laughs) So like, they're like, promises. And then let's check on Jenny Ransom and all those people and make sure that everything's going well, right? Rain is so horny that she tries to seduce multiple man in this Which is never a good choice. Trying to seduce multiple man is invariably a bad choice, and it will only bring her grief from here on into the future forever. Forever. Um, So Moira, as it turns out, is also on Genosha examining the mutates who have come down with a mysterious new disease that is the legacy virus surprise it is spreading at an alarming rate among Mm -hmm. the former slave population on genosha and she's kind of doing like leper colony outreach type stuff yeah and rain flips out at moira because she cannot believe that moira is so concerned about these like dying losers instead of her own daughter yes it is a bad moment for rain. This is a rain. really she says, and I'm gonna read this because it's like the most It's very intense. I have my own need of your services as a scientist. My mind has been turned inside out. And Sally May, I was hoping you could help me make it right. Though I should have known better. After the mess you made out of Proteus and Magneto's minds, you finally realize you are as bad a scientist as you are a parent. If you couldn't help your own flesh and blood, why should I expect you to help an adopted waif like me? And uh, she storms out. It's not great. Not great. Remember your kid who died? 
Remember how you failed her? Remember how you were terrible? Lorna pulled that out in Trial of Magneto, and it was pretty mean. Like, that's one of the worst <laughs> things you can say to your parent who lost a child, really. Yes. Probably the worst thing that you could say to them. Very harsh. So, you know, that's rough. This is around when Peter David leaves the book. Uh-huh. A lot of people shuffle around on writing duties in this period. It's mostly J.M. Demetrius uh-huh. for the next several issues, but, like, Lobdell dips in at one point. It's just, like, kind of a, a nebulous period. I think it's Labdell and Demetrius co-writing for a while, and then Demetrius does a longer little run before Mackie like fully takes over the book. Rain goes back home. Professor Xavier tries to help her, but can't. Like can't fix the brainwashing. Thanks, Charles. Very helpful. Eventually, what does fix it is Haven. Yes, a character we've talked about a couple times, who is like a messianic crazy lady, rather dastur. She has a cult in India. Go to the Val Cooper episode, I think, for most and for and the Multiple Man episode for like most of the Haven content we've talked about. Haven's a cool character who I would like to see again, actually. Yeah. But she has mysterious healing powers that are related to a mutant fetus that is inside her and won't grow, and turns out to be a potential host for the adversary. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> it ends badly for her. Let's just say it sure does. It's not. <laughs> it's, not a, but, it's not a great time. But before it ends badly, Haven heals Rain and fixes everything. Like all of the Genosian mutate mm-hmm. programming, her weird sexual slave bond to Havoc, everything that's going on gets re- repaired. Yes. It's almost like Demetrius or editorial or somebody was like, get rid <laughs> of that. We, like, we, we, gotta gotta fix we, don't, we don't need that anymore. Um, <laughs> Almost. She's and she's so thrilled about that that she like barely even seems to register that multiple man dies of the legacy. Yeah, she's just like whatever. She's just like okay, cool, and like you know, I'm great now. Um, this leads into Phalanx Covenant, uh-huh. which is a franchise-wide event where one of the Phalanx splits off and becomes an independent person who rebels against the Phalanx. And oh, guess what? It appears to be Doug Ramsey, maybe, or an amalgam of sure Doug does. and Warlock. This is the character Douglock, who you don't have to worry about, but I guess go to the Warlock episode for more on that. Or, like, someday I probably will just do a Douglock episode, probably, because he is kind of his own character, but there yeah. just isn't a lot of there there, so I don't know if it's worth doing. I enjoyed him when I was yeah. reading this stuff at the no, time. I enjoyed Douglock. Oh, by the way, Haven also fixed Rain's hair, so now Rain can grow the hair out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's annoying. That I don't <laughs> love. Very annoying. So she has like a high pony now. Awful. And is obsessed with the idea that Doug has been resurrected. Doug Locke is like, no, I am not Doug Ramsey. I have some of his memories, but I'm not him or whatever. And uh, Rain doesn't care and is obsessed <laughs> with him. Rain does not believe it at all. Rain is then forced upon Excalibur. <laughs> This is when Howard Mackey takes over X-Factor and it's reconfigured a lot. Like the team, it becomes more about Mystique and Sabretooth and all of that stuff over in Excalibur, which is still at this point written by Warren Ellis, but pretty soon mm. will be taken over by Ben Robb. But this is during the Ellis run. Editorial wanted Excalibur to be more of an X-Men title. Yes. They brought it in more closely under the X-Men's editorial office and they specifically said we want to bring a couple X-Men characters over there. So they send Moira, who's just been diagnosed with the legacy virus, as the first human 
to get Legacy, and Wolfsbane and Colossus over to Excalibur to bridge it more closely to the X-Men stuff. What a trio. Yeah, and so Rain ends up on Muir Island, which is Excalibur's new home base, and Moira kind of de facto becomes the leader of the team. Mm -hmm. She becomes like their Xavier with Kitty or Kurt, depending on the issue, as kind of the field leader. This is where we get the arc where she confronts Reverend Craig, because Reverend Craig is now fear-mongering about a new mutant girl, Bridget Shane, who is a pyrokinetic, who's Mm -hmm. like just firestarter from stephen king's firestarter basically yeah but he's conspicuously a little redheaded girl just like rain was yes indeed and i mean my read is that she's rain's half sister biologically but we've never actually like gone there no but that would be a character i think it actually would be interesting to bring back now because you could age her up a little rain goes and confronts reverend craig and she's basically like why did you adopt the daughter of a prostitute? When you hated it so much. When you hated her, hated everything she stands for. Oh, and also, why did the church pull you out of Allpool and relocate you to Kinross? Yes. What was that about? Like, why oh, maybe that? because you're like sexually exploiting your parishioners. Like she doesn't say it, but, but it's, it's the, the implication. implication and sure. she basically says, why do you hate me so much? Why do you hate that little girl too, who also has red hair like my mother and I, I noticed. Yes. She's saying basically, I've realized you were a client of my mother's you impregnated her and you took me in but you hate me because i am i am your sin yes she's a physical representation yeah and like he's a he's a vicar uh, in a protestant tradition he can he doesn't have to be celibate it's not like catholic priests but but he's not supposed to be doing this you know and also it's his weird culty extremist yes like to him that is definitely sinful Yes, and so she basically blackmails him, like, I will go public about you be without saying it, again, it's like yeah. not explicit, but she basically says, like, I will go public about the fact that you're my biological father unless you leave this girl alone. Yeah. And so he does, which is a nice beat for her. Yeah, that's, I, I don't mind that, that's a good one that she's I like, don't mind her in this period generally, she just, like, when you've read the 80s reign, the reign of the late 90s is just not that interesting, because... Yeah. She, I mean, again, she's like, she looks like Jean Grey or like Siren. She She has like long red hair down to her ass that she keeps in a ponytail. She's like very feminine. It just doesn't, Mm -hmm. she doesn't feel like the same character. Which defeats the whole point. But it's a little bit interesting, I guess, because that's when she has her romance with Doug Locke, Mm -hmm. who is like, what is this thing called love in that like very (laughs) robot kind of way? And it's like, he's not quite Doug and, and so the fact that she's rain. not quite rain works for me. Like that relationship is, I yeah. liked it at the time. It also sort of implies that it never would have worked between rain and duck. Well, right. And I wonder why that is. Toward the end of Excalibur, like in the last 10 issues, Moira's legacy advances. She decides to yes. lock herself in a sealed chamber so that she can do research and not expose other people. Rain in, this is a very classic rain moment. runs in after her and is sealed into the lab with her that no one can open without a containment suit. So she's now just going to be exposed to Moira's legacy like all day, every day. Great job. Doug Locke starts freaking out and spends the next several issues 
figuring out how to open the door, which he yes. does to save Rain, but Rain is furious because this has now negatively impacted Moira's research and endangered Moira further yes. uh, as Moira is near death from legacy. Moira convinces Rain to like chill out. Douglock loves you, like, you know, whatever. They all go to Brian and Megan's wedding, which is the yeah. final issue of Excalibur. And that's the end of that story. This leads into the Dream's End crossover where Muir Island is destroyed. Moira is mortally wounded by Mystique. And Mystique shoots Rain with an experimental version of Forge's depowering gun. Yes. Apparently depowering her forever. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> Around this time, also, Doug Locke turns out to just be Warlock, and the Doug Ramsey yeah. personality is erased from his processor, so that ends that romance plot pretty unceremoniously. And it's just that, no? Yeah, but so Rain is left basically human and struggling now with the fact that she had accepted herself and now isn't a mutant anymore. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, cool. What do I do now? She has an X-Men Unlimited story that's kind of fun where the necklace from Robert the Bruce <laughs> Robert gets the Bruce stolen necklace. in like a mugging. I mean, it's great that it comes back, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like that's a fun detail to pull out. She and Danny, though, end up working together and with the other like new mutants and getting the, the necklace back. Um, but basically, Moira, much like Sean goes fash, after Moira dies in uh, the x core arc, Rain decides, like, I'm going to be a bad girl now. And, like... It's a motorbike. Buys a motorcycle, gets, like, an alternative, like, shoulder-length haircut, and starts wearing a leather jacket everywhere. Yeah. And is now, like... Oh, and, and very intentionally, like, forces an American accent. Which, awful. I hate that for her. I know. Wish she wouldn't. Danny and Sean are so weirded out by it when she's like, hi, everybody. How are you doing today? And they're like, Rain, what yeah, are you doing? Yeah, no wonder. It's just bad. This is the New yeah. Mutants volume two that I just don't like. And we don't have to dwell, but basically the big thing is like, she's established here. They say it many times. She's 18. Yes. Which I think is too young for how much time has passed, but yes. we can't get into it. So we'll no. <laughs> Don't have Elixir, Danny's ward, who is 16, mm -hmm. has a flirtation with her. I also think Danny is too young to be taking a 16-year-old as a ward. I do too, but well, particularly if Rain is supposed to be 18, 18. which means that Danny is what, 20? 20, yeah. Like, that doesn't work at all, <laughs> but we just have to... Basically, what I'm saying is Rain is not 18 in this arc. They say she is several times because a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old having a relationship is you know, not crazy. Like, yeah, obviously, it's not ideal, but it happens all the time, yeah. and there are laws to make sure that it's not classed as statutory or anything like anything that. like that it's like okay not ideal but like not you're not a criminal yeah. right the problem is that they continue to like flirt and hook up while she gets her powers back yes and is made a teacher at the school which also, why are you making 18 year olds teachers well, right. well but I mean that's an Xavier tradition right yeah, well <laughs> But basically, what the first time they kiss, his healing power undoes the depowering gun. Yes. And restores her mutant power. She instinctively rips him to pieces. Attacks him. Yeah. 
And uh, Wallflower freaks out and like uses pheromones to scare her away. Mm-hmm. But Josh can heal himself, so he's fine eventually. Yeah, is up. Basically, then there's an ongoing plot where Rain is a teacher, so she's like, "Don't stand so close to me," like to Elixir, because she's like, "It's inappropriate now." But he insists that like he loves her, yeah. and she protests, but not too not really. Much. And, Here's the thing that's like tricky about this arc. They go out of their way later mm-hmm. after she's caught. Yes. They go out of their way to have her insist that they never had sex, yes. her and Josh. I simply just don't believe that. Because I reread, I reread this for this yeah. episode. And I hate I don't like this arc. No. But I was like, I gotta read it. I reread all of it. I could believe that the intention of the writing team mm-hmm. was that they weren't having like intercourse, but the way it's drawn, it's, yeah, they're not stopping with a kiss in these scenes. They're just not. And like, also her whole bad girl phase she's going on is like, I'm slutting around. Like it's not. Oh, well, she's doing the American accent. All right. She's like, I am being a slut now because my mom's dead and I don't care. Like, you know, I yeah, might as so- well. I might as well be a whore damn for the pit, right? Just like my real mother or whatever. Like, she's just having a moment, she's right? She's having a huge moment. I just don't buy that they're not having sex. And I do think that it was irreparably damaging to the character yes. to have her be a teacher at the Xavier School having a sexual, or at least, let's say, physical relationship with a student. It would be yes. one thing if he had a crush and they kissed one time or like there are ways that this plot could be complicated without poisoning the character but she is so wantonly inappropriate with her responsibility here as a teacher that out of all of the terrible art she has this this is the the hardest to walk back for me i think this is the worst to walk back because you can like the stuff that peter david does in x-factor investigations mostly people don't care right like who cares and most of those characters like, you don't need to ever have Rain interact with the Hell Lords again. Like, like, I would rather she didn't. We should right, just move same. on past that. But these characters are all around. Yeah. And, like, this devastates her relationship with Danny because Danny defends her to Scott and Emma and is like, there's no way this is true. And then she's like, well, actually. And Rain's like, well, I broke it off last semester. And you're like, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> But Danny's like, this was happening last semester? And yeah. I didn't, like, this is, she's repulsed. Yes. So that's not great. Rain no. decides to quit before Scott and Emma can fire her. And Scott does apologize to her. He's like, honestly, it was probably a mistake to give you this much responsibility. Which, knowing that you're coming true. off of Moira's death and all of that other stuff. And, like, being depowered and then repowered. Like, which, like, yes, true. But again, that shows how contrived the storyline is. Yeah. Like, I don't, I just don't buy... This is part of my overall problem with how Emma is written in Academy X, honestly, mm. is like, I don't buy that Emma would sign off on Rain in that state no. being a teacher at the school. I just don't. And it also goes back to what we were saying of like, this walks back her agency by just giving her an out for that. Right. Just by being like, oh, right. it's like, you know, it's really fine. my fault for hiring you. And it's like, no, no, like, still don't fuck your students. Like, yeah, that's a, like, it's like. That's like really rule number on one floor. of on being floor. a teacher. That is the first thing that you're not supposed to do. So, you know, it's not great. 
and she decides to quit. And during all of this, by the way, Peter David does his Madrox miniseries, which yes. is like the backdoor pilot to X Factor Investigations. And in that, Rain and Strong Guy team up with Madrox at his new detective agency in Mutant Town. And in that story, Rain accidentally kills somebody. Kills a guy, yeah. And it really upsets her, which is like a recurring beat. Yes. This one's less interesting to me because it's more interesting when she, like that rebel from Transsabal or whatever, like she killed the shit out of that guy. Yeah. And but again, was- she gets an excuse, like, because it's, oh, the Genosian process is making me crazy. No, you chose to do that. because Right. And like, this is, my, this is the thing that's also very frustrating about this character is that I feel like she's constantly getting excused for her bad mm-hmm. behavior when it's like, we could just also unpack it and like have her face the fact that she's done terrible things. Yeah. And that would be more interesting. Exactly. And I think especially when it comes to- the It's very Calvinist, because- right? It's like yeah. the writing wants her to either be completely good or completely bad and like yeah. they won't let her be and complicated she can't be because she's doing terrible things right and also she's just like a human being like it's yeah, not actually that, possible the whole thing um but she justifies them to herself and that's more interesting than the narrative trying to justify them to us exactly it's much more interesting if she's like it wasn't in my fault but and then everyone's like no it no was. It was though. Yeah, the problem is when all the characters are like, you're absolutely right, Rain. It wasn't your fault at all. The thing that is nice about X-Factor Investigations is that all of the characters are like, no, Rain, that's fucked up. Like, they do tell her how fucked up it is all the time. The problem is that she does just become a punching bag. Yeah. Much like Siren. so uncharitable. I do feel like the whole book is kind of predicated on just tormenting her and punishing her for whatever like i you know whatever whatever it is she just is made to suffer and we're gonna perceive that when i had extraction investigations in my reread i just had valentine's dms was like i have to yell i have opinions and thoughts like that's if if there was ever a moment to e it's being a spain or a siren fan picking up that book the whole way through. This is when she pivots over to X Factor Investigations, where she memorably appears in the first issue uh, when Richter, who has been depowered in the decimation, is yeah. planning to kill himself by jumping off a building. And Rain grabs the cop's microphone and goes, Don't you be high, Rain, me. Suicide. Do you know what'll happen if you kill yourself? Do you? It's a mortal sin. It's a death blow to your soul. You'll go straight to hell. Hell, Richter. Eternal punishment. Burning the lake of fire forever and ever. Which is like not helpful. Ever and ever. No, not particularly helpful. Notice, accent's completely back. Oh, yeah. All the religious trauma is completely back suddenly. Uh, Go reset. Here we yeah, go complete again. reset to the moment Peter David left the book the first time. Yes. That's fine because I, I'm fine with walking back New Mutants Volume yeah. 2 Reign yeah. as much as possible. Please. That's fine with me. Like, I don't need the Weary D. Philippus Reign to ever rear her ugly head again. But <laughs> she's not enormously likable in this okay. new mode. Let's just say. She's not helpful here. No. And there she isn't, isn't there a line where she's like you're not in japan richter like it's not a it's yeah. not gonna be like a, a you know a noble suicide although i am curious like it's very clearly something she's thought about in terms of uh, the sin of it all and i'm like okay but how much have you thought about that i think she's thought about it a lot there's a question yeah. about that later that we'll get to in the q yeah. 
but so Richter is saved by Monet and mm-hmm. you know it all turns out okay I mean like in that he doesn't die he's still really depressed yeah. but like you know they're working it out at all but like alive they both are working with Madrox and everybody else the key thing for her really is that Damien Tripp do not worry about it <laughs> who's this time traveling supervillain gives her a vision of her future and shows her that when Layla Miller is quote all grown up and she and Jamie Madrox get married Rain will slaughter them on their wedding night. Yes. And Rain conceals this from everybody, but she's really freaked out. Maybe we should let her. Yeah, I mean, she's just not, she's not thrilled about all of that. The thing about Expatriate Investigations for me is, (laughs) it's a frustrating book and that, oh God, there's just so much of it that's just so much to unpack. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are like, singular lines and beats where I'm like this fits and this makes sense to me it's just unfortunate that it comes at the price of the rest of this book yeah because there's an early beat with Rain where she says um she's I think talking to Layla at this point and she's like right because when people are afraid of you and suddenly they think you're no threat to them then they accept you without question which very much as her experience. Mm-hmm. People have been afraid of her and then have been like, well, no, she's fine. So don't worry about it anymore. And I think it's really interesting in that sense of like how she was like ostracized from her community and turned away from all of that. It's just that everything else in this book happens. Yeah. So she and Richter cross paths with Quicksilver, who briefly semi-repowers Richter, but then mm-hmm. it all goes awry because Quicksilver is evil now. Um, and so don't worry about it. Go back to the Richter episode, I guess. But basically, he's really upset because he's depowered again, and he mm-hmm. becomes basically suicidal again. And Rain decides that the best way to comfort him is for them to make love. Yeah. So they do. They they do that. The next morning, she's like, that was a mistake, and I only did it because I pity you. (laughs) Which is, wow, she's just like a really lovely person in this book. It's it's rough for her here. Yeah. It's just, the whole thing of it is... (laughs) They're both so gay that this is Yeah, and Richter's like, I refuse to accept that and starts like kissing her again and she like claws his back and like there's a lot going on. This leads directly into Messiah Complex where she is tapped by Cyclops to join the other like hunter tracker mutants in a black ops squad to help hunt down the mutant Messiah, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. She helps Richter infiltrate the purifiers by... (sighs) like pretending to have a a fight with him and like pretend that he's a human. She gets very perturbed because she finds out that the purifiers are working with Reverend Craig, which I don't know why she's surprised by this. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, so they're evil Christians who hate mutants. Like make the connections. I wonder which character we've met before might be associated with this group. Right. That said, he's never like gone outside of his little, like, fiefdom in scotland particularly so i get why she'd be a little surprised that he's like gone global he's going international yeah exactly 
Uh, she also accidentally kills another person. This is a thing with her. Like, she just does that sometimes, and then she feels bad about it. But So she decides to leave X Factor because Kyle and Yost are turning X-Force into an ongoing title, and she is going to be on it. So she leaves a note for Richter, but doesn't talk to him. Which, bad. <laughs> and she tells Jamie why she's leaving. She's like, here's the vision that I was shown, and it's not great. Then she ends up on X-Force. Wolverine doesn't want her on the team because he's like, she's a good girl. Like, she, you know, he, like he hasn't been paying attention, I guess, No, he's not watched any of this happen. So he's like, she's not meant for wet work, you know, and all of that. <laughs> the big thing is that Angel Warren stumbles upon X-Force and insists on, like, because they're hanging out at his house. Like, they yes. use the abandoned Angel's Eerie mm-hmm. in the Rockies as their base of operations. And Warren's like, what are you doing in my house that I... <laughs> I'm checking out what's up with these properties I own. Why are you all here? What's going on? <laughs> Rain is captured by the purifiers. They get her super hopped up on smack. Like they just like addict her to heroin. Yeah. In the process of brainwashing her. Again, a real thing with brainwashing with Rain. Yeah. And then when they find her, Elixir is able to like heal her from the heroin withdrawal. Because Elixir and now is on the team with this is the thing that I like, yeah, don't... like they keep they bring it back and then I'm like but it's weird now you see why it's weird it's weird now it's it's just these characters should not interact. be in the same room they just shouldn't ever interact again but no. it's fine uh, I mean I, I think they can now on Krakoa yeah. it's been like a long time but like I didn't mind at this point but no no not like <laughs> a year after the affair. Like, it's just not, it's not exciting. Even when they were interacting in Krakoa, there was, like, some distance. This is, like, a whole thing. Exactly. And so then, well, yeah, right now they're in a, in in X-Force, they're in a secret Black Ops murder squad together that they can't tell anyone about, so they also have, like, a terrible secret together, and it's like, oh, my God. Oh, we've done this before. We've done this before, right? So... They don't know that the purifiers have, like, programmed her with all kinds of post-hypnotic suggestions and stuff during her heroin era. Heroin chic. Yeah, she's, like, very Kate Moss right now. Warren walks in, and I'm not, I'm not accusing Kate Moss of using heroin. Google heroin chic if you're young and don't know about fashion trends of the 90s. Point is, Warren walks in, and it turns out she's been programmed specifically to kill Warren. So she jumps on him and uh, rips his wings Just off with her teeth. Just rips them off. Yep. And brings the wings to the purifiers who then reverse engineer them into techno-organic wings that they can put on their foot soldiers. Yes. Uh, which is kind of neat, I guess. But yeah. go back to the Warren episode because this is what predicates Warren's transformation back into Archangel and like the crisis between Warren shifting between like Angel and Archangel modes that has been an ongoing struggle for him all the way up to the present. But anyway, Rain has achieved what she was sent to do by the purifiers. So the purifiers then like toss her in a room and tell Reverend Craig to come take care of his daughter, basically. Yeah. By which they mean like execute her because Kill she's her. no longer useful. Done. Done with her. Tell her and move on. And he shows up like, great idea. I'm going to shoot her in the head. <laughs> so paternal. But... She breaks free and runs away. Reverend Craig tracks her down. He's like, it's time. I'm going to send you back to the devil, you sinful, disgusting thing. Yes. He just so happens to be standing in the laboratory where they've been keeping Angel's wings that were severed. And he stands right between them. And Rain looks up at him and sees him as an angel, which she's been programmed to kill. 
And this is the thing that's frustrating. It's not her choice. No. To go back to Inferno, when she says to Ilyana, this time you have a choice. Yes. That's so key there. And then Rain is almost never given a choice. Never. One of the only times she gets a choice is what she does with Elixir and what she does with Richter. And she's abusive oh. to both of them. Yeah. Terrible. So, you know, it's like, okay, cool. But in this case, this is the culmination of Rain's entire backstory arc. Mm-hmm. And it's a choice that she does not make. Yes. She's like literally on heroin. Yep. And has brainwashed been brainwashed. Hell. She sees him, says, Kel the angel. And, and goes, goes And leaps on him and just like rips his fucking head off. When they find her and him, they there's, find not him? Much, there's not much left of him. They then send her to be deprogrammed by the Stepford Cuckoos, and she hangs out at the Eerie being deprogrammed. The setup is there for her to make that choice. Like, he's repeating all of the terrible things. Just let her affirmatively kill this man. Let her kill this man. He deserves deserves to get his head ripped off. He does. No one is going to be mad at her for this. No, but it has, like, the agency has to be taken away from her. That drives me crazy. Like, she has to look at it and see, this is what he told me. Look at him standing. Even keeping, like, the framing of the wings, like, look at him standing there as if he's above me, as if he's more moral right, like than you're, I am. If she had said, you stand there like you're an angel, you are no angel father, yeah. and then killed him, that would be great. great. But instead, she's just tricked by a programming. Oh, it's no, like, what a up. shame. Like, this is now, like, t- this is going on 20 years of storytelling where she's influenced constantly by brainwashing. It's like, shut yeah. Up. Let her be her own person. Let her make a choice. Yeah. So uh, she's hanging out in the eerie, like recovering because she has all these recurring nightmares about killing her evil dad. And uh, that's when Hrimhari the Wolf Prince shows up. And then we have to do this. Yeah. So uh, Hrimhari the Wolf Prince has been reincarnated because over in the pages of Thor, Ragnarok has happened and all of the Asgardians have been reincarnated on Earth in like humanoid forms uh, so now he has a human form which makes it more boring yeah and he looks like a silver-haired anime character and he's yeah. just like not particularly interesting actually he looks a lot like quicksilver which is he funny. does <laughs> i'm looking at this panel and he does but uh so they fuck on warren's deck and uh <laughs> classic and she gets pregnant yep and uh, then Necrotia pops off and Celine is just like doing all her mess and like, you know, go to the Celine episode for the fun parts of Necrotia. This is a non-fun part of Necrotia. Because we're not doing the fun parts. We're doing this. Rain is completely fucked up by frost giants who attack her and Primhari. And I don't know how to pronounce Primhari and I'm probably saying it wrong, but I... Don't care. So I haven't made an attempt to do yeah, it's like any Norse readers, please feel free to write in with pronunciation notes for Krimhari. But I think it's probably just something Chris Claremont made up because <laughs> that's how yeah. a lot of those names work that came from the 80s. But anyway, Krimhari is like, hey, we'll use elixir to heal her wounds and whatnot. But by the time they get to Utopia, which is in the middle of Necrotia, they find that elixir is like brain dead in a coma and is yeah. not going to be of any help to anyone. He's not having a good day. Dr. Nemesis does a CT scan on Rain and determines that, of course, and this is a classic, 
she's pregnant and it's killing her. Of course it is. Yeah, because you can't, like, her her simple human woman body can't contain the power of a god in her womb and, like, all of that, yada, yada. Primhari turns into a wolf and screams out for Hela, goddess of the dead, and sells his soul to her in exchange for her preventing the death of someone. Yes. And she tells him, you can choose the woman or your child. Which, great. Yeah, because like hell is mean like that, which yeah. is like fu- that, that's fun. Like hell is yeah, mean. It's fun that hell is mean, but, but also not range choice. <laughs> yeah, not range choice. Not range choice. Do you want to abort your child and live or die for your child? Is a choice that could be offered to Rain that is yes. instead offered to Himhari. Yes, sucks. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Primhari then tricks Hella though and says, I want you to save that guy and points at Elixir. And, <laughs> and Hella fixes his like brain damage or whatever. Elixir wakes up. Which from Hella's point of view is very funny. Yeah. She's just like, what? Huh? Hey. Oh, well, okay. Sure. Once Elixir is back to normal, he is able to stabilize the baby and also alter Rain's DNA. Again, not Rain's choice. Not Rain's choice. Alter Rain's then DNA so that this. her body is stronger and won't like explode from the God pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not much else to say about that. Hella carries from off to Niflheim. He is like, I will return to you one day, my love or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, now rain's pregnant. They do the appropriate of ghost dance and sneak through Miss Celine's mystical senses and kill Celine with the dagger made of the bones of her own mother. See the Celine episode. It's a classic. And then, for <laughs> Embarrassing. And then she transitions right back to X Factor where she shows up heavily pregnant, which this is like... She's so not, pregnant. So she she's only been pregnant for a couple of weeks, but because of Hari's powerful wolf god come, just like completely rearranging her insides yeah her pregnancy progresses really fast so instead of being like seven weeks pregnant it's like seven months she's seven months pregnant she walks in seven months pregnant as richter and shatterstar are about to have sex yeah she flips out she's in her male homophobic era yeah she flips out attacks shatterstar because he's turned richter gay and uh knocks him out of a window yeah and like wrestles all the way down in the fall with him for like two stories. It's bad, guys. It's, it's bad. not good. It's really bad. Once they are calmed down a little bit, Richter is like, is that my baby? And Rain doesn't exactly say yes, but she goes, well, I wasn't there with anyone else seven months ago. So not she knows she's not seven months pregnant. But uh, it was seven months well. ago that she fucked Richter. So... Yeah. She lies by omission and leads him to believe that it's his child, which is so fucked up. So fucked up. They go in the gyno for like an obstetrics exam, like a CT. Which I don't know why she thought I'd get this far. Like, I don't know why. Here's the thing about Rain. Like, she's just not that bright, I guess. Like, that's just kind of my takeaway is like, she doesn't, or at least she doesn't plan things. Yeah, no forward thinking. Yeah, no. So um, they go to get like an ultrasound or a sonogram or something done and the baby's invisible. <laughs> and Richter's like, okay, that's not normal. That's so not how this works. What's going on? And Rain is like, okay, it's from Hari's baby and yada, 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 yada. Sorry, Richter and whatever. 
Shatterstar ends up tracking down Rain and is like, why'd you do all that weird stuff? And Rain is like, I didn't want Richter to go to hell because he's a faggot. Like, she doesn't say it that way, but it's what she, she says. It's like, a plot. Yeah, she said, well, she says, Richter's going to go to hell because you are living in sin with him. And like, which, let's be honest, there's some latent repressed projection happening here, honey. That's the only sympathetic way to read it. I mean, the thing exactly. is like, you, so you can, the thing about Rain is you can read her one of two ways. If you read her as a lesbian, she's a very tragic character. Yes. If you don't read her as a lesbian, she's, she's the a fucking worst. bitch. Like, she's yeah, just she's horrible. terrible. And since she's never been allowed to like be a lesbian, I mostly just find her to be heinous. Yes. And until such time as she's allowed to have that storyline, it's just hard for me to let go of all of this stuff because it's bad and it com- it's just it builds and builds and it's really bad. Anyway, she's like being gay is a sin, and like Shatterstar, who's like an alien from Mojo World, is like, it's like what? What are you on about? Eventually, they just start laughing because she's like, I mean, when I say it like that, it sounds ridiculous, but like, I just it's very Peter David jokey, and it doesn't yeah. work for me. Like the tone doesn't work for me. It's just, it's an odd pepper. And then she and Shatterstar become like besties. It's, yeah. it's very weird. It's a very weird. <laughs> Why? Then the Hell Lords attack. I'm sorry. I'm not. We're not doing the Hell Lords. We're not doing this. She's attacked by a series of gods and demons and supernatural yeah. beings because they want the baby. This is when Feral pops up as a ghost. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We'll get there in a Feral episode. No need for that just now. But. Uh, there is Wolfsbane versus Ghost Feral. Eventually, Rain is chained to the floor by an Asgardian god, and uh, Wall, chained to the floor, hacks up her baby like a hairball. Yeah, vomits out the child. Mouth baby moment. Siren screams at the baby. They eat the baby into the stratosphere. We've talked about this in other episodes. She was very ready to do it. Can't blame her at all. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot, and it's not great. The baby is like intelligent and like self-aware from birth and mm-hmm. rain rejects the child because she's like this is so fucked up i can't deal with this and like panics. there's like truly only one way for me to look at this mouth baby and not be like this is the worst thing i've ever read okay it's still not great but the only way i can possibly look at it is because i've been reading the monstrous feminine because she like brings this child out, bursts it through her fanged mouth. It's literally making her into like this archaic mother, the vagina dentata. I was going to say, it's like birth out of the vagina dentata is like what's happening. But like, what is like, but like, there's nothing else going. It's not like, it's not like they're going like, there's nothing interesting happening here. This was not a conscious choice. No, it's just, it's just gross because it's supposed to be gross. Like there's no, it's just, it sucks. I'm sorry. There's there's scope, there's scope for it to be something. It just isn't. (laughs) So uh, the baby ends up in the custody of Jack Russell, the werewolf by night who is not a character you need to worry about, but I love the old classic Werewolf by Night stuff. So, I like Werewolf you know, by Night. Yeah, I like Werewolf by Night. So there's no, you know, nothing nothing wrong with Werewolf by Night. But again, why is this happening in X-Factor? Like the, the thing that is baffling about the direction of this book around this time is like, it just pivots into becoming, as many Peter David projects do, 
a book literally about hell and the occult and all this other stuff that it was never about previously and that doesn't outside of like Ileana's storyline or like other limbo related yeah. stuff relate to X-Men comics. No. Like Christian hell is not something we deal yeah. with at X-Men comics and it doesn't make sense that we spend like 50 issues there. We spend the... so long on it. It's it's a lot. So long. Rain is ashamed that she rejected her child and wants yeah. to find him because she's like, this was my test from God. Yada, 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 yeah. yada. There is a great moment where she confronts Layla Miller, the only character more loathsome than Rain in this book. Who, yeah. uh, Well, I mean, there are villains and stuff who are worse, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> well. But uh, she says to Layla, she's like, you knew this would happen and you didn't tell me. And Layla's like, yeah, whenever I interfere with the future, I get punished. And I didn't think it was worth it, basically. <laughs> Soon after, we see an example of that where because Layla resurrected Strong Guy without his soul, we'll get there in a second, Madrox ends up dying, which is not supposed to happen in the timeline, yada, yada, yada. This is when we meet... This is when we meet Venora. Ah, Venora. Because in an alternate timeline, Rain's baby with Hermhari was a girl, and she's crazy. Who's surprised? She comes to our timeline, and she's evil. And quite honestly, I hope we never see this character again, and simply don't worry about it. We do not need to. Rain decides she's just as bad as her father because she abandoned her child, which is fully insane but whatever i mean like the self-loathing with her is consistent at least yeah. as with every other hysterical woman in this book she gets some sense talked into her by father john maddox the madrox dupe who's become a priest yeah and richter and shatterstar decide to help her find Tyr, her son and they do but uh venora steps in and it's like a whole mess it doesn't matter i'm sorry i'm just it, not, none I'm of that matters none of this matters. matters i'm looking at my notes and i'm like i don't care about any of this no here's the part that really fucking gets me right so it turns out the reason why all the hell lords want tear has nothing to do with him being the miracle child of an asgardian god and nothing, next at, all. Mutant. nothing, nothing. at all it's literally that he is the seven billionth person to be born on earth which makes all of this pointless as far as I'm concerned. The whole thing is a shaggy dog story. It could have been anybody. It has nothing to do with any of the previous stuff. It's just by chance, Rain coughed that baby up at the exact moment where he would become the seven billionth person to be alive on Earth at once. Like, she should have just waited a couple of minutes and saved us like 50 ashes of trouble. Yeah. And so every single hell lord wants to kill him because whoever kills the seven billionth soul will become the king of hell and that is the rest of the fucking book the rest of x-factor is about who will kill wolfsbane's stupid baby and ascend to godhood and in the end strong guy who doesn't have his soul because layla resurrected him with her faulty resurrection power kills Tear in order to seize the throne of hell and resurrect Monet, who he's in love with, who has recently died. Yes. Glad to have Monet back. Glad to have Tear gone, to be perfectly frank. But yeah. it's not an enormously satisfying resolution to the storyline. No. Rain is like, Adina can why Guido, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, <laughs> she goes on about it for a bit. <laughs> she ends up becoming like part of the team at Father John Maddox's church. Yes. And that's the end of her time in X Factor like investigation. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. She's like in the vestry and it's like, who cares? 
my favorite thing is that then she and Guido hang out together <laughs> at Jamie's funeral in yeah. Death of X because she, she I guess there were no notes about like. I mean, I have to assume that at this point, no one was reading Peter David's X Factor anymore, like even no. in the office, besides the editors. Like, I'm sure they did, but I don't think that the other writers were like, let me keep tabs on the Hell Lords. So at Jamie's funeral, it's just like, oh, Wolf Spain and Strong Guy, those are his friends from the 90s. And like, they're just hanging out. They know the each other. That's fine. Yeah. Then she turns up in Secret Empire in New Tian, Emma's mutant haven after Hydra takes over America. Don't worry about this particularly, but the big thing that somehow has persisted to the present is that she is impacted by Mother Vine. Don't worry about Mother Vine, but no. it causes secondary mutations and reigns is that she can now split into a pack of like four or five wolves. There are five wolves inside of you. She could duplicate when turning into dog mode. Yes. I hate this power up, but Vidayala at least made it funny yeah. when like Rain teleported through one of Magic's things and then came out as five, five. wolves. That was funny, but I, I hate this and I think it's stupid and I personally would just choose to never acknowledge it again. I would like them to keep it going as a recurring bet that she never uses. But it like for she never uses it for a useful purpose. No. Like as long as it only happens for stupid things. As a little joke. Yeah, then that would be fine with me. After Nutian, she shows up in Rosenberg's run on Uncanny mm -hmm. when Cyclops comes back from the dead. And this is when most of the mutants have been apparently killed by Nate Gray and disassembled and all of that. Mm -hmm. So he assembles together a sort of a ragtag X-Men team. This is the first time Rain has ever been a member of the X-Men. Yes. Which is interesting i guess to think about it. it's always interesting to me like when do certain new mutants characters get given the title of x-man well, and rain never everywhere, is but... yeah yeah exactly she goes to every other team so she is on the team for a bit but eventually she decides and like just content warning on this the storyline was very controversial i've discussed it on yeah. previous episodes but she decides she's had enough of being a monster mm -hmm. whatever that means and quits and she ends up beaten to death by a group of men after one of them flirts with her and then realizes she's a mutant and it's framed as like a trans panic yeah. moment. And I, I, Matthew Rosenberg is a good writer and by all accounts, a really good guy. And I believe that his intentions with this story were very good, but he has apologized because it, it, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't land. Uh, at all really no. and it's it's an unfortunate it's a really unfortunate story yeah so wolverine and Conan end up seeking vengeance on the men who killed her but uh it doesn't really go anywhere perfectly, no. to be perfectly honest then the 2019 soft reboot house of x powers 10 comes out and she is resurrected on krakoa in hickman's new mutants the implication in the Hickman New Mutants is that they, like, they don't say it, but it's almost like they resurrected her from an earlier backup to, like, <laughs> circumvent X-Factor investigations. Because yeah. she acts like none of that shit happened. Yeah. But in the Ayala New Mutants, we see that she's really torn up about tear and all of that stuff. I think the way I can read it is, like, she wakes up and it's positioned as, like, paradise where all of her sins can be forgiven, which 
it's the dream for her that sounds great yeah and everyone's like do you want to talk about anything and she's like no how are you feeling about rain on krakoa like what is your take i'm on her current enjoying status? so far i think what vita is doing is great there's some great work going there uh am i thrilled about having to do the tear of it all again no but i would like it if it could just be laid to rest which i think is where it's probably going yeah if we could just I feel about it the way that I do about the karma arc that yes. Vita did, which is like, we have to do the brother thing again. And it's like, yeah, because we're putting it to bed. Yes. And now karma can move on and do other stuff. And I think that with Rain, it's important to at least try to repair. So if you're not just going to ignore it completely, you got to repair some of it. Then you have to repair some of it. So yes. I think that that's logical. And I'm interested to see where it goes. Rain hasn't had her spotlight arc yet in New Mutants. No. I Hopefully she has one coming down the pipe. I do like that she's in this magic arc because I think going off yes. what happened in Inferno, that worked really well. Taking her to limbo and having her be an adult who's not afraid of it anymore and yeah. is there to help Ileana is very smart, I think. And even in like those earlier like New Mutants uh, issues and on Krakoa where they're talking about like they have this beat where they talk about how they both have demons and mm -hmm. struggle with that. It's nice to see that build because I think there's a lot of potential for them to be like really good foils for each other, especially considering how <laughs> she hated Eliana because of the demon of it all. Right. And I liked that Rain was the one who was briefly taken in by the Shadow King because yes. that really works for me like yeah it worked for me because of her stubbornness and her unwillingness to grow mm -hmm. she's very susceptible to that kind of manipulation she just yes. is so there's that are there any other wolfspoon stories you'd like to talk about before we get into the questions i think we kind of covered it all i feel like the questions are gonna be at times <laughs> so a lot of you sent in questions for this episode i can't possibly read them all some of them are a little bit more of like more of a comment than a question. And I'm going to try and stick to like questions here. Also, a lot of you wrote in with similar thoughts on like her role as a religious character or, I mean, to begin with, because this is like, Piper Skalker writes, hi, Connor and Rebecca, quick question on rain. What the fuck happened? So that's the whole email. A lot of you sent in. I mean, that's the question really, isn't it? To that effect, yeah. Moxie Sillen writes, you're Connor an esteemed guest. That's what you're supposed to say, right? You did it great. Long-time listener, first-time caller, et cetera, et cetera. I've been perpetually behind on this podcast. Indeed, at the time of typing this, I'm listening to the Chamber episode. But I finally caught a tweet in time to ask a question, and I just felt compelled to ask this one. What in the ever-living fuck did Rain do in a past life to deserve the ride she's on now? Did she give Lincoln his theater tickets? Why do the writers hate her so much? Is it because she's Catholic? Do they secretly hate the Scottish? Is it because Werewolf by Night is male and thus more deserving of page time? Inquiring minds want to know. On a side note, you're brilliant. I'm so happy you started this podcast and reignited love in me of all things X-Men. My bank account's not as happy with you, though, since I started buying up the trades. Thank you so much for taking time out of your life to do this for us, the fans. As always, make my cerebral. Well, that's very sweet. Thank you. Rain is, as we pointed out, not Catholic but you'd be forgiven for thinking so because a lot of Americans don't does. seem to understand the difference. Here's the thing. She was predestined to be a sinner. Right! She's a reprobate. John Calvin will tell you all about it. So you got to head up, Calvin. He'll explain it all. He'll explain it all. No, the point is, I do think that we sort of intimated this earlier, but I think that the repressed religious character is an appealing character to break for yes. writers who are not religious. Yes. Or who see 
those characters as in some way stunted or and I mean she is like whether or she not is, you're religious she is. she is stunted so poking her in the forehead and seeing what happens is an appealing thing to do as a writer but all of these writers or at least in the stories we've talked about are interested in breaking her but not so much in putting her back together right it's just how much can we damage her further and I don't yeah. think that that which doesn't really lead to anything is significant. Super helpful, yeah. Lance Yeagerson writes, Hi, Connor and Rebecca. I'm unfortunately allergic to Rob Liefeld art and plot, so I wasn't paying close attention to Extinction Agenda. But what the fuck happened to Rain? In 1988, Sam calls Rain his little sister in that perfect fall of the mutants issue. I loved her so much at that time. I also grew up in a very conservative religion, so I identified with her coming-of-age struggles. Then I didn't ken what happened to her until I started reading X Factor, and she's a werewolf who's horny for Alex? Is this Peter David's yeah. fault? It seems like something he would do. <laughs> Not wrong. I, I always thought you were exaggerating when I was reading my way through the 80s and you'd make fun of Rain. But God, she really goes off the deep end of the 90s and aughts. Best, Lee Forrester's boy toy. P.S. Compliment, I discovered the podcast six months ago and it got me interested in reading X-Men for the first time. You're the soundtrack that's helping me get through the senior year of my undergrad. Thank you so much for all the good work you do. Well, good luck with your finals and everything. That's yeah, awesome. That's a that's um, a rough year. You got it. Well, I guess your the finals are over now at this point, probably. Uh, I have July, my but I have my thesis to write, but otherwise. Well, you're a grad on. student. That's a little yeah. different, but you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. No, but happy to help. And yeah, like there were a lot of these emails that were just sort of like, "What the hell?" And I'm like, "I have no answers for you. I, wish I simply help. don't. I wish we could explain, but sometimes when a male writer and a female character hate each other very much very very much hate each other so much <laughs> i actually think he loves rain that's the thing that's so yeah, weird. yeah that's why i hate it i think <laughs> i think he does really like her and i'm like then, then why, why this <laughs> why are you um, doing all of that yeah i don't know so now on to actual questions we can answer. Travis White Schwach writes, Hello, Connor and Rebecca. As a new mutant stan who skips straight from Claremont and Simons into Wells and then Ayala, I'm excited and a bit scared to fill in the gaps on Rain. You know what? Great choice. <laughs> she really, one of the worst things about her, like, aughts trajectory is that because she was on the Kyost X-Force, she doesn't get to be in the Zeb Wells New Mutants yeah. where everybody else gets such a great show. Yeah. It's such a messed opportunity. And she's very conspicuously absent from the team. It like feels mm -hmm. weird that she's not there. How long did Rain live with Moira before joining the New Mutants? Did she spend years on Muir Island, presumably watched by Madrox and Angus McWhorter while Moira was gallivanting about? Or did Moira adopt Rain and then ship her off to her ex two weeks later? Which, to be sure, would be vintage Moira. Thanks, Travis. It's the latter. Moira the latter. adopts Rain and immediately sends her to Westchester. So, like, it's not that strange when Rain is like, I didn't care if I'm really your daughter. It's like, yeah, because well, yeah. you've, like, barely interacted. What? <laughs> she takes Rain in for a hot second. And then for, like, like, a week. Anyway. And then is like, well, and, and then, to be fair, she comes with Rain to Westchester and is there until after the Legion stuff yeah. pops off. But she drops that kid off with Charles pretty quick. Yeah, it's very obvious that she's being left there when Moira leaves. For sure. So, no, they don't have years of being together as mother and daughter. Although... Love the Angus McWhorter reference, R.I.P. <laughs> King. He was so mad at his hovercraft, and I can understand. Wouldn't we all be? 
Wilson Hayworth writes, greetings, Connor and esteemed guests. I'm looking forward to learning more about Wolvesbane. I find it really interesting the actual wolves in the UK were all hunted to extinction, which left a gap in the local ecosystem. In some ways, Rain's mutation is actually filling an ecological niche in her environment. This got me thinking, has anyone ever said what kind of wolf Rain is? Personally, as a North Carolina native, I'd love for her to be a red wolf, which would fit with her appearance. However, a gray wolf might fit better with Rain being Scottish. Apologies for any errors, as I am neither Scottish nor a biologist. Anyway, have fun talking about the thing with elixir. Best wishes, Wilson. We did not. We did not, but it's over now. Well, I mean, until it comes up again in the questions. I have no doubt it will. So I don't know offhand. Do you know, B, if they've ever said? They, I don't think they've ever said that she is russet, so it does sort of imply. She is red, yeah, like physically. But also that's likely because she's a redhead. She's also so. just like a redhead in her hair coloring, right? So, I mean, honestly, the answer to this question is like, she's a human, so, like, I don't think that she corresponds yeah. to an actual, like, species I mean, of wolf. There has been, like, wolf reintroduction in Scotland um, because there are too many deer. So they were like, let's just, <laughs> just bring some Let's wolf just toss back. a wolf in there. That's a <laughs> great just... idea. <laughs> you know. Throw some wolves in there. Just you know? throw some wolves. That's, probably that's the worst there. that could happen when we just <laughs> add some wolves to the forest. So, yeah, there is, like, scope, I guess, for her to be a European grey wolf, but odds are she's just a I think she's just a wolf-y. mutant, vaguely wolf thing. Again, she sometimes just looks like a dog. It's, like, not super <laughs> yeah. biologically... Like, I don't know the taxonomy of Wolfsbane is something we're really going to be able to do. I mean, into. like, if you go by sizing, she falls in line with a red wolf, because she's yeah, right. big as a wolf. She's big, yeah. Shawnee Martin writes... Hi, Connor and Rebecca. I'm currently in the weeds. Oh, and by the way, all the Scottish people who wrote in for this episode, I am going to do the bad accent. Sorry. Yes, I, I just, I You know, you knew when you wrote in, you volunteered. Shawnee Martin writes, Hi, Connor and Rebecca. And I hope I said your name right. It's S-H-O-N-A, right? Is that right, Shawnee? Because it's like Sionade, right? But it's written yeah. differently. But I'm just I'm trying my best. The Gaelic I know is not Scots Gaelic. I'll tell you that for free. So Better the Irish. Estimating. I'm currently in the weeds of the cerebral backlog and not sure if my question will make it in time. As a Scottish person, I really wanted to like Rain. Then I read some of her wiki page and, well, yikes. My question is mostly for Rebecca. I found Rain's accent is written weirdly in and out. Some words read as a heavy accent and others none at all. And I find it really awkward to read and hear in my head. Is this a case of a Scottish cringe? My unfamiliarity with more Highland accents. Where is Muir Island supposed to be, anyway? Or is the accent as written actually as difficult to decipher as I found it? Just want to say thanks to the pod. You've turned a long-time X-Men pop culture and cartoon fan and to a first-time comic reader, currently making my way through Reign of X, Shanae. There you go. So, <sighs> Muir Island, if I remember correctly, is north of Stornoway, which is real north like about as north as you can get without they always say it's off the northern coast of scotland yeah um just to the north of cape wrath 500 uh, yeah, miles south of the arctic Sutherland. circle so you're right up the top a few hours journey from yeah Stormway. so it's in the middle of the sea and also yeah. <laughs> about as north as you can get yeah. um like i mentioned earlier like her accent would be different like mine i'm glaswegian so i like from the the middle belt of Scotland, which the Glaswegian accent is what folk think of when they think of the Scots. It's like right, yeah, your real thick, like proper Scots. Your Highland accent tends to be a little mellower, um, 
it's a little, like I say, it's a little musical. On occasion, they could almost sound English, which kind of comes from how the language was disseminated when mm-hmm. the English took over, right. as it often is. Um, this is a pro-Scottish independence podcast, so yes. it's okay to talk about <laughs> New referendum next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fingers crossed. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> When the accent is written out, it's written like a central bell accent because that's where you get like your your thick lowland Scots. Um, so it's lowland Scots slang that's used. So it does. Claremont make- writes her like she's from the south of Scotland as opposed to the north of Scotland because guess what? He also writes Sunspot speaking Spanish. Like it is the eighties <laughs> and it's not enormously well researched. Yeah. So like the Glaswegian sort of accent is your touchstone for the Scottish accent so people reach for that but it's why especially to Scots I think it reads as being like a little in and out because it's not quite right like it's sort of there (laughs) but also sometimes you're like oh that's not how I would have said that even at all there's one panel I think is actually in X-Factor Investigations where someone says something to her and she very offhandedly just goes I brilliant that's it that's the Scots just I brilliant (laughs) dripping in sarcasm and you can tell say that again a little slower for the americans who won't know what you're saying i brilliant i brilliant yeah no it's good it's good it's good and the r's would roll it would be a proper like brilliant brilliant Casey Welsh writes, hello, Connor, and wonderful guest. I've been looking forward to this episode since I started listening to the show. Despite her, shall we say, checkered publication history, Rain has a soft spot in my heart. When I started reading X-Men in high school, I was still working out my sexuality and the cultural and internal homophobia I held on to. Rain's story in the original run of New Mutants felt familiar in a lot of ways, especially her self-hatred for mutants and the way she would try and distance herself from Ilyana's demonic nature. After relating to her so much, the hard turn to homophobia in the aughts was a lot to take in. At least when she was being met metaphorically homophobic, it had a narrative purpose. My question has to do with her struggles with feeling like, well, being a wolf in girls' clothing. Her original design makes it difficult for Rain to connect with femininity or other teen girls the way that she wants, particularly her haircut. That part of her mutation, her hair not growing out more than a few inches, has since been lost. Do you think that his art styles changed and left behind the iconic haircut? Part of her connection to the mutant metaphor was lost? It does feel like there's a connection between the length of her hair and the quality of her storylines sometimes. Now that her hair's shorter again, dare I get my hopes up for a brighter future? Thanks for the great podcast. All the best, Casey Welsh. Uh, yeah, I'm with you completely. Yeah. I think it was one of the worst things to ever happen to this character because she had a recognizable visual identity mm-hmm. and then became just another redhead. If you look at Rain and Excalibur and you told me it was Siren, Jean, Mary Jane Watson, like any it could be any of those women. Yeah. It doesn't look like her at all. And I think it's probably safe to say that now that our hair is shorter, you can get your hopes up. I feel yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, it does. I feel good. It's the, I mean, it's the best stuff she's had in 30, 30 years. years. So, yeah, I would say like we're back on track to some extent. Yes. We just have to see how it all plays out. But my read on her hair being short again on Krakoa is not that that limitation of her mutation has been restored, but rather that she's comfortable in her own skin in a way that she hasn't been in a long time. And so she doesn't feel the need to put on the like feminine trappings that she thought she needed to do to be a proper Mm -hmm. woman when she was a little younger. Yes. And it's very interesting because like in her sort of past narrative, she does desire that sort of normative femininity and 
tries to perform it and it just it never aside from when that's sort of put on her by a narrative and um, it never sits right on her there's always it feels wrong in the narrative to look at mm-hmm. her and see her like hyper feminine and I think it is because it feels like a performance in a way that these sort of high femme characters don't they feel like performance for the sake of fun rain feels like performance in the sake of hiding is the difference it's interesting because it's not unlike there's a thematic connection there between her and polaris that's never Mm -hmm. teased out really because it all becomes about alex which is like the least interesting thing about that dynamic and i love alex but like that's not like because Rain doesn't actually want Alex. She's just like slave programmed to want yeah, Alex. So it's like not boring. even interesting. But Lorna's struggle with her eating disorder and mm-hmm. all of that like body dysmorphia and body image stuff that she has in the 90s and her desire to present herself as like a hyper feminine sex object in the media mm-hmm. is to me very interesting. I think Lorna is very comfortable with femininity, but I also think that it's a performance that she does on purpose. Yes. I think that that's also what Rain's doing, but I think Rain is not comfortable with it. And I think that that is sort of the distinction between them. Rain always feels like she's putting on an act. Mm -hmm. With Lorna, it's like, Lorna, calm down. (laughs) But you don't feel like it's, at least for me, it doesn't feel like it's a false gender performance. No, it it just feels feels like like it's... She's trying too hard because she's a little crazy, you know, (laughs) which like who among us, but (laughs) yeah, we've all been there. Um, We all know. We all know. You know, I love it. But I think as well, a lot of that with, especially with Rain and her wolf form. So like a lot of the theory I work with talks about the werewolf as a creature that collapses boundaries, like Mm -hmm. the boundary between human and animal, between like sort of reason and emotion, all of these very strict binaries that are drawn and when you think about Raina as someone who can change form at will but also has this transitional form in between she's never going to be comfortable in any of those binaries as far as I read because of the way that her mutation works and the way that her mutation sort of fundamentally exposes identity as this like really tenuous construction. She's tying it together bit by bit and not always doing that great at it right. because of how fluid this is for her. That actually leads into the next question, which is De Cisneros writes, hello, Conan, esteemed guest. How's the crack? <laughs> <laughs> That's Irish. Isn't that, or do you guys say that too? Sometimes. Okay. A plot line I really enjoy with Rain in the 90s is when she's unable to, this shows you that it takes a village. A plotline I really enjoy with Rain in the 90s when she's unable to change out of her half-beast form without reverting to a mindless notion mutate. I love whenever bestial characters like Rain, Beast, Gorilla Grodd, modern Monet slash Penance, Exiles Thunderbird, various werewolves, etc. have a Hulk-like moment and lose control of their powers or descend into further animalistic madness. Do you have any favorite examples of this trope in fiction? Do you think it's an interesting beat to revisit for Rain, or is that better left in the past? Until our evil sentinel overlords take over, make mine cerebro, De Cisneros. So this is, I mean, like, I like a moment where they lose control and then come back yeah. to it, but this is actually one of my least favorite directions to take a character long term because I'm more interested in like the higher intellectual functions mm-hmm. of a character most of the time. And so like when they become pure id, like I for example, I didn't enjoy when She-Hulk was hulked out for a while the last couple of years. Because yeah. to me, the fun of She-Hulk is that she's a Hulk, but she's like 
a smart lawyer. And that's funny. <laughs> like, I enjoy that part it's of the character, beat. right? One of my favorite things that Teeny Howard did in X Corp was that Warren assumes that's what's happening to Monet. Yes. Because it's what happens to him. Yes. And when Archangel like, takes no. over. And Monet has to be like, oh, no, you misunderstand me. Like, I'm not out of control. Penance is not. I'm choosing to be like that. Yeah. Right penance is not something where I lose control and get too angry. Mm-hmm. Penance is something that I have been gifted by my mutation that's evolving. And I tap into her when it's time yes. to really make people hurt. Mm-hmm. But it's not something I'm not in control of. Yes. I liked that subversion, particularly with that character, because anger and outbursts of anger is a character flaw of Monet's. And the expectation of like, oh, this angry black woman is hulking out Mm -hmm. in a corporate setting and then having her be like, oh, that's actually not what's happening at all. And I'm much more in control than anyone else in this room. So, you know, I liked that. I'm more interested typically in characters who have a darker nature like that and are successfully containing it. I always love when Ilyana is like shackling the dark child inside herself in a way that empowers her. Yes. And like occasionally like letting the reins loose, but not. Yeah. I'm similarly interested in the idea of like Madeline going forward as a Madeline who is the Goblin Queen, but mm-hmm. it doesn't rule her and she's logical and it's moral. It's a choice in her own that way. she's making. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like with Rain, whenever it happens to her, it's almost never a choice she makes herself. And that's mm-hmm. why I don't find it satisfying as a storyline. I agree. I think that if Vita does dive into a Rain storyline, we probably will see like a more bestial uh-huh. edge to Rain just because what Vita's been doing with these characters is mostly like really digging into their traumas and also like their darker selves and seeing uh-huh. what's in there. So I imagine we'll see more of it and I wouldn't mind revisiting it in that way, but I would yeah. need it to be revisited in such a way where it's like, this is Rain finally getting agency over this part of herself instead uh-huh. of just being constantly brainwashed into being a mindless animal. And I think as well, it's like, it's a very ongoing sort of trend, specifically in like horror fiction and in horror films. I read a lot of scholarship on this, um, where in sort of very strict gender binaries, the male monster gets to enact a sort of act of masochism before enacting violence. And that is a choice that he makes, like, you see, like, Freddy Krueger cuts off fingers before he attacks people like these are choices that he makes in order to intimidate or to channel pain that he can then control it's almost like a self-flagellation like to take it to a Christian extremist place yeah absolutely but the female monster very often only commits an act of masochism when it's out of their control Mm. so you see that in like Carrie. Carrie never makes like conscious choices to do what she does. She loses control because she feels too much. So it Mm. lashes out. So it becomes like a sort of internal versus external thing with that. Um, And I think you can really see that in Rain and that she attacks when she feels too much and no longer has that control. Whereas arguably it would be much more interesting if she could tap into that pain and be like, okay, but I'm choosing in this moment to do this. That's why I really love the contemporary Monet Penance stuff is because that's what that is, is like a woman saying, I was traumatized and it made me a monster in some ways. And now that's a source of power for me and I'm not afraid of it. And I think that that is cool and something that female characters 
are not typically afforded. And I think it's something that Rain would really benefit from, from oh, being yeah. able to sort of take all of this trauma from being used as a punching bag for 30 years and take that into herself and use that as a wellspring of power to be like, well, yeah, that happened, but now I get to use that for what I decide. Peyton Fowler writes, hello, Connor, esteemed guest. First time writing in. My introduction to Rain came in Academy X, as that was my introduction to the X universe in general. Consequently, Rain has just left a bad taste in my mouth ever since. My question is, should Rain ever really be around children again? I haven't kept up with the character, but she's been in the Krakoan New Mutants and she's around all those kids, and it just makes me uncomfortable, honestly. I know you say that sometimes we have to just move past parts of a character's history, but is this a character that still serves the franchise? Thank you for all that you do. Peyton Fowler from Louisiana. If you want to do your French Remy LeBeau accent. I am aware, for the TikTok commenters who keep pointing this out, that Remy is not French. He's Cajun, but the French accent is funnier, so I'm just going to continue to do him as Pepe Le Pew because it is simply funnier. Also, I'm not going to do a convincing New Orleans Cajun (laughs) accent. So like, give me a break. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. But anyway, here's how I feel about it. I think that it was actually really good that Vita had Elixir and Rain interact in a very casual way that showed it was a long time ago and we don't have to like address it necessarily. (laughs) But in a way that still made it feel like there's a distance between them based on the fact that they have like a weird history. I think that that's really all the acknowledgement that we need. I do think that it's been emphasized in this run on New Mutants that of all of the former New Mutants who are now positioning themselves as mentors or teachers, she's like the least effective one. Yes. And I don't think it's for lack of trying. No, she's trying, but she's not, she doesn't have the temperament. No. I think that's why she becomes the weapon used against them by the Shadow King. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is interesting. I personally, if we do accept, and it doesn't really work in the sliding timescale, but let's say we accept that she was 18 and he was 16 and that she just made a really bad decision because her mother had just died. I don't think she necessarily needs to be banned from interacting with teenagers because Mm -hmm. I don't think she's going to like, I don't think Rain is like looking to prey on teenagers generally i think she did something inappropriate and wouldn't do it again yes she'll do other inappropriate the thing about rain is she's always doing new inappropriate things yeah but i think that she she learned diverse yeah i think she learned her lesson on that one like should she be a teacher though no no i don't think she should and i think that she should have a different role that she should find once she actualizes herself through whatever's going on with her right now and i think she shouldn't be a teacher for that reason and also like you say she doesn't have the temperament for it and that's fine i don't have the temperament to be a teacher absolutely not do something else it's fine (laughs) nothing else um but i i understand why for readers it would leave a bad taste particularly if that was your first rain if that's your first interaction with her to you she's just mary kay letourneau like why would you (laughs) want her in the absolutely not i get it yeah, so it's rough. And like I say, I think it's the hardest of all of those bad stories to walk back. To me, I think this is a general problem with The Weir and Philippus New Mutants, which is a book mm-hmm. that, like, I'm sorry, I know I've been really harsh on it, but Surge is another great example. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there who love Surge as a character. She debuts in that book, so it's not like it's new writers picking her up, but... Yeah. I get that people love Surge. People get upset with me sometimes for being so harsh on Surge a lot. But here's the thing, like, I read that story and I was like, wow, Surge is a fucking racist. And I just, like, did not like that character. And I don't think I'm ever going to like that character because 
she left a really bad taste in my mouth. And so if you don't have, like, Rain, when I was 12 and I read Inferno and I cried over the death of Ilyana and her reincarnation as a child, or however you want to interpret that scene, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for the Rain from back then. Yeah. And so it's easier for me to look past it. If my first encounter with Rain was Rain is the band girl who can't stop fucking your student because he's so seductive. I'm like, I would just also be very turned off by this character in general. And I just wouldn't want her around. So I get it. Frankly, like I will say after that storyline and especially like then after everything that happens in Expected Investigations, I could do without Rain. I really could. Like I don't need Rain around at all. I could really do without her. But I do feel like given the long history that she has in the franchise and the potential that the character does have, and most importantly, on some level, the 20 years of publication history she has before that story, Mm -hmm. it's worth trying to push through it and make her and a I usable character in a more effective there's a way. lot of really good stuff being done with her now mm-hmm. and i would be sad to see that go to waste because of a story that that now, is now from 20 years ago 20 years know? old but like i say i understand why if especially if that's your first sort of read of her that's gonna suck that's gonna be real hard to get past yeah well and it's interesting right like the character turns 40 this year because she debuts in 1982 yes she's been published for 40 years and that happens at basically the halfway mark of the character yeah and everything after that has been pretty bad i'm gonna be real so you know it's tough it's tough but i think that here's i guess what i'll say the same year basically that rain started careening downhill mm-hmm. betsy braddock got turned into a japanese woman <laughs> Ruffier. and as a betsy braddock fan well i mean like it didn't really go bad for rain until like two years yeah. later but but you get what you i'm know. saying it's the same yes. time period and for 30 years that storyline really fucked up betsy's arc really fucked yeah. up betsy as a character generally I think Betsy's now better than ever. Yes. And I'm very excited about what's to come. And I think that that's because Jim Zub and then particularly Teeny Howard went back to the 80s material and got at the real heart of the character before she was twisted out of shape into something else. Yes. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think that's what Vita is doing with all of these New Mutants characters. And I'm hopeful that Rain can be salvaged. Yes. Me too. Robert Kirk writes, in the X-Force era, a drugged wolfsbane took on a psychotic archangel, managed to beat him down and escape with his wings. Should we see more of this strong and aggressive side of wolfsbane? And if we did, do you think she'd be used more? Also, do you think they gave her back the memory of killing and eating her own dad when they brought her back to life on Krakow? Oh, that's something we forgot to mention. Peter David then establishes when she's like really guilt-ridden with Father John Maddox that she didn't just rip Reverend Craig to pieces. She She ate him up. She fully ate him. Here's the thing. It's sort of a serve. Sometimes oh, you have to eat your I terrible love that. bat. That's very mythic in an appealing way to me. Like yes. that is the kind of fairy tale werewolf shit that Rain should. Should be doing. Yeah. Last thing, was it a mistake to have strong guy killer son Tyrion ruin that friendship that grew while they were an X-Factor together? I don't believe she could forgive him, regardless of the New Mutants Dead Souls miniseries that followed. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the writers forgot that. <laughs> that happens. Yeah, so yeah, well, yeah, it doesn't really, really matter. I mean, I think that it may be revisited now. Yes. 
because we saw the flashback to him killing Tyr in New mm-hmm. Mutants, so I feel like it's something that we're gonna play with. It's simmering away. He has his soul back, so like he probably also feels pretty bad about killing. He would. Him he wouldn't feel great. So he didn't even feel great about it as a soulless demon. No, so, you know. But I think that in general, we sort of addressed this, I guess, with the earlier question. But like having her lean into her bestial side as a source of strength rather than a source of shame would be naturally, I think, the way to take the character. I think so. And I would like to see more of that. And I think that she would be used more if she was less conflicted about her power, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want to see people use their powers in a superhero book. That's the point. And like, she's kind of, her whole history is her being taught to like culturally resent her own anger she resents it she feels it and it's like babe sometimes you just gotta go off on one sometimes you just gotta let loose <laughs> except let it go yeah just exactly. let it go it's fine eat your terrible dad and be done <laughs> just eat him it's over no bad about it he sucked <laughs> Phil writes, hi, Connor and Rebecca, short time listener, first time asker. I discovered Cerebra after hearing Connor fill in for Miles on Jay and Miles recently, and I've loved every second. Keep up the good work. Well, I love that people jumped on from that. It was such a treat to do that episode, and I hope that you all are enjoying my show. Despite the ringer she's gone through for 30 years, I like Rain and want what's best for her, so I'm glad she's getting an episode. Maybe you've already discussed this, but what do you think is the best way to deal with Tyr moving forward? When Rain does find him, should she take him to Krakoa to raise him herself? If I remember right, he matured quickly enough that she wouldn't necessarily need to constantly watch him like a baby because PAD loves a sudden age up. I think it could be interesting to see her balance parenting with teaching duties and, hopefully, dating Danny Moonstar. It could be a way to salvage some of the disastrous times Rain's previously been a caregiver, like the elixir of it all. Of course, Tears as Guardian will person royalty and they probably would like to have from Hari's air back. Should little guy go home be with his people? Maybe keep a Krakoan gate in their territory so Rain and Tyr can visit each other? I could see a story hook and a political alliance within his guardian realm. What do you think would serve Rain best? Until Havoc finally gets his PhD make mine Cerebro Phil flat scan Phil on the Discord. So I don't want to get too speculative. Mm-hmm. I would say my instinct is that like Tran Coiman, he's a character that we don't need to see a ton of no. once the plot is resolved yeah no we need to i think we need to like resolve it and then just like he can be there but i don't want art i don't want to deal with it i just don't he can just be there sometimes tran I actually i would like to see more i think that like a tran and sean arc would be interesting whereas like with tear i think you bring him back you have him one more time growth spurt age up a teeny bit Mm-hmm. And then just send him to Asgard, and yeah, yeah he, can have, like, he can have he can have a gate, just, he can come and go. But I just I don't need to see that. I don't need no. to deal with that. And neither does Rain, frankly. No. Bring him back. Let them have the conversation. Let it be put to bed. Let her have the closure, and then let him go live with his dad, and like let her move on with her life. Maybe occasionally I can see him in a group panel at the Green Lagoon, and that can do it. Sure, we can like see them having lunch or something. Yeah. It just doesn't need to be that serious, in my yeah. opinion. They can just be like in a background. I feel like there's tear. Great. Love yeah, for I think that they should have the kind of relationship that Gene and Adult Cable have. Yes. Where like that's my son, love him, but like <laughs> don't need to see him. <laughs> don't need to be his mom every issue. You know what exactly. I mean? Greg Malcolmson writes, hello, Connor, and esteemed guest. I'm a longtime listener and first-time writer. Oh, I'm going to start over. 
Craig Malcolmson writes, Hello, Connor and esteemed guest. I'm a long-time listener and first-time writer all the way from Dundee, Scotland. I wanted to take a minute to say thank you for the mind-boggling amount of work you put into this podcast, which has been playing a loop in my bedroom while I work from home for the last year and a half. It's really gotten me, and no doubt many others, through it. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. Rain. She's a character I've always had a liking for since she's like the most well-known Scottish superhero at Marvel, which is not great since a lot of her storylines have been so very yikes. So the questions I had were, one, now that Myra's been revealed to be an enemy of mutant kind, is this information publicly known to everyone in Krakoa? Do you think we'll ever get to see on panel what Rain thinks about the fact that her long-dead mother showed up through a portal wearing her sort of stepdad's skin as a suit and tried to kill everyone? Has she ever really connected with her brother Proteus? I think an incident like this would be a great opportunity for them to do some trauma bonding and maybe give Rain someone to talk to, who's far enough removed from the whole new mutants group dynamic and history to stay impartial. So that is a great question. I'm going to go one by one with these because they're good questions. We know from Legion of X number two that Moira skinning Banshee and attacking Krakoa appears to be public knowledge, yes. at least among like X-Men adjacent people. Part of me is like, just no one's told, right? <laughs> I will say I was a little bummed by that because I, I mean, I get that we only have so much page space and it yeah. is important sometimes for like really big talky scenes to take place off panel, but I would have liked to see more characters reacting to that. Yes. And I hope that we will still. Yeah, I think especially like the ones who were. The ones who were like, close to her, way. right, yeah. I think that the fact that she is like a reincarnating immortal is not something people know generally, no. though. That's the secret of the council in Immortal X-Men. Mm -hmm. So if Rain does know Moira's alive or was alive and is dead again and was <laughs> evil... And There's quite a lot going on. I think, I mean, it helps that she's in limbo right now with Ilyana, so maybe she just hasn't heard. I think, honestly, that's probably where I'm at at the minute, because, like... That's where I'd go, have her come back from limbo and, like, get caught up and be like, what? Like, I didn't can what you're talking about, you she's know? Like, like, sorry, sorry, let's take that back. What? What was any of that? And I would like to see her talk to Proteus. They've never yeah. had a conversation, as far as I know. Not that I can recall. So I would like to see that. Because after the initial Proteus arc, he's dead <laughs> before she's introduced. Mm -hmm. And then he gets retconned back to life a couple of times. But I don't think they've ever crossed paths, actually. No. So I would like to see them kind of meet and chat it out. Yeah, I mean, like, we've seen them now together on Krakoa in, like, five oriented scenes. But yeah. we've never seen them, like, chat. And I think yeah. that would be interesting. Just because in general, I would like to see some Proteus stuff. Like, now that his mind is stable, I'd be yes. interested in getting to know him better as a person. And, like, person, who he yeah. is. And I think that Rain would also, like, just as much as it would be good for Rain, it would be a good way to expand Proteus as a character to have him talk to his sister. Essentially. Yeah, it's a good end, and I think it's a pretty solid hook for both mm -hmm. of them. Two, do you think Rain voted for or against Brexit? Or was she too busy picking up the remnants of Raren Craig out of her teeth or vomiting up wolf babies to care? And do you think she'd care enough to vote yes or no in the previous or upcoming Scottish independence referendum? Rain is definitely pro-independence because yes. we know that she went back in time and fought with Robert the Bruce. So also she when they have their little mutant town at the start of the X Factor, she's like, we have the right to self-govern. She does, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, where's the energy for Scottish independence, Miss Sinclair? Bring it out. I think she would similarly oppose Brexit because yes. she spent most of her life in America at this point. Yeah. So, like, it, it's sort of like when we talk about Pixie, it's mm -hmm. hard to sometimes get a sense of, like, what their take 
uh, or even Betsy, like has been in America for so many years now that it's like, what's your take on British politics? And it's like a little out of touch. That's part of Betsy's problem right now being Captain Britain is that she hasn't been a, She's like, a resident of England in a long time, right? So like when Parliament's like, we don't approve of this mutant Captain Britain. She's like, yeah, well, I don't approve of your face, bitch. Like that's kind of the vibe. <laughs> And honestly, good for her. Yeah. Rain at least was back on Excalibur for a while. So she was like on Muir Island for yeah. a while in the 90s. But like, I don't know how up she is on like the concerns of British politics. But I do think she'd be anti-Brexit for sure. I do too, because um, pretty overwhelmingly, like I think every constituency in Scotland voted against Brexit. Yeah, like Scotland is just generally pretty anti-Brexit is yeah. my understanding. So, Not the vibe Which is us. why there's now another independence referendum coming. Like, because hey, this sucks. Because they're like, oh, the economy's in free fall. That's great. Like, you know, Wonder cool. who could have predicted this. Thanks, Boris. Like, you know, it's just not yeah. going great. Yeah, so... Three, Rain is from the Highlands. Do you think she'd grow up knowing any Scots Gaelic? I don't think she's ever spoken any on panel, but it'd be cool to see or have her mention that she's learning online or something. Speaking of, I wonder if 616's version of Duolingo has a Krakoan course available. Thank you again, Greg slash Gay Juggernaut on Twitter. Thank you for writing in, Gay Juggernaut. That's a great username. Because that's just Juggernaut. We all know. Yeah. If you know, you know. But... (laughs) To answer the Duolingo question, no, because Krakoan is specifically a secret language that humans don't understand, which is the point of it. It's a defense strategy. But then to answer your broader question, I think Reverend Craig would have really insisted on speaking only English ever. Yes, I think uh, when you go up north, you get a lot of sort of Gaelic skills and you can tell you're in the Highlands because your road signage switches Mm -hmm. um, as to what primary language they use, which is very fun. So I think it's probably fair to say that she would know bits and pieces, but I agree that you're right and that he would have insisted it was English. Yeah, I think that he like beat English into her basically in a very like... So yeah, I imagine maybe fragments, maybe little phrases here and there, but not in any coherent way. And then Moira is like an aristocrat. So I think she's not speaking a ton of Scots Gaelic either. You know, like Banshee uses some Irish Gaelic with her, but like... That's because like, he's Irish. And it's they're <laughs> sort of cognates. Like you can get away with Right. Like he call, like like Sean calls Moira Kushla. Yeah. And stuff like that. But it's just not I think Rain would feel like it was pagan to like be speaking Gaelic. You know what I mean? You're not wrong. I'm thing? just like I might like I'm not wrong, right? <laughs> You're correct. She would. <laughs> but yeah, I imagine like little pieces from just like living in a place where it's pretty common. Well, not commonplace, but spoken more than sort of lowland mm-hmm. Scots. Yeah, and I'm sure she knows some words, but I don't think she uses them herself. No. Basically. These two I'm going to read together. Brian Zeitzelman writes, Big fan of the podcast. Thanks for being the reason I finally took into all the old 80s issues I'd always read about versus actually taking the time to read them. My question's about Rain Sinclair, a character I enjoy a ton, but also feel out of the loop on currently. I'm by no means a completionist, and I'm sure your breakdown on her history will be helpful, but I feel like in the current Krakoan age, she's one of the characters that seems most different than her previous 20 years of books. I know the aging forward and back of all comics is natural, but somehow Rain feels like she became a full adult, and now in New Mutants of late, she seems a bit closer to 20 again. I'm not complaining, but more curious if I've 
some major reading or details. Thanks for being the best, most thoughtful, and open-minded podcast about comics out there. Brian Zeitzman. Well, that's nice. Thank you. And then Kellen Kornack writes, hey, Connor, an excellent guest. First of all, I fully have this podcast and all the much more knowledgeable people in the Discord to thank me for getting into the X-Men and answering questions about the X-Universe. My question's about Rain. So much of her problems in characterization come from her post-Claremont and pre-Ayala stories, which I'm sure has already been mentioned in detail. This isn't to say that she's a perfect cinnamon role of a character in those characterizations either, but I do notice that she seems to be portrayed younger by Ayala and Claremont, in so much as Ayala having to deal with all her post-Claremont characterization. Anyway, my question is, does Rain's character work better if she's a confused teen or a struggling young adult character rather than when she's a more adult character that she is in the X-Factor Investigations era? Maybe that creates more problems than it answers. I don't know. Here's hoping you folks have a better idea than I. Thanks. So ages with comic book characters, as always, are not real, right? Fake. But I think that given the aging that all the other characters have gone through in her peer group, we have to assume that Rain is in her mid-20s now. Yes. Which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you're experiencing, both of you, is... Annalise Bissa talked about this actually in the Cypher episode, if you go back to that. The Krakoan reset and the resurrection protocol in particular was seen as an opportunity to bring characters who had kind of gone off the road back to their most iconic forms. Mm-hmm. So, like, Cypher had become, like, a crazy guy in a shack, and they kind of, like, pulled that back to, like, a recognizable Cypher. And similarly, I think that the choice with Wolfsbane was let's resurrect her as the Wolfsbane that people like, which is her earlier characterization, right? And Ayala is now complicating that by showing that the later stuff is still of concern to her and still present in her mind. But... She does feel a little younger, and I think that's because she's regressing, because that's what mm-hmm. she does, right? Yeah. And and I don't think that that's out of character. I think she does work better as someone coming of age, and that's why it's time for her to finally come of age, mm-hmm. right? Like, the problem yes. is when she's written as an adult who refuses to mature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're going to do this sort of coming of age arc, this heart, uh, her being unsure of where she is, who she is, what she sort of stands for, you have to characterize her as being on the younger end because those are that's where those stories work. If you're going to do that arc when she's a full adult, she's just annoying, is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like you, I just don't like her. That's the yeah. problem. Whereas when you can characterize that as part of this sort of early stage maturation learning how you function as an adult in this new society that's something that people can relate to at least um, and it makes it easier to create an art of art that's going to work rather than just making her unlikable but I think you're right in that you have to do it and then commit to it you can't like keep walking her back <laughs> exactly <laughs> she can't be an adolescent forever Julia Blunk writes, Hi, Connor. You already know I love you on this podcast, and I love whoever was brave enough to face you in the battle for this character. So I'm just going to be real and go straight to the point. Can they gay up Rain already? Her entire story is about being gay. Can they just do it? Can they just make her a self-hating lesbian? Her relationships with men are all awful and suck because she's a lesbian. Her freakout with Richter being gay only makes sense if she's a lesbian. The whole dating a student, therefore controlling the sexual terms of the relationship, makes more sense to me if she's a lesbian. It's everything. The werewolf thing she has going on is literally just about being repressed lesbian. Frankly, it feels like the only reason why she's not a lesbian is because karma got there first. Not attacking karma, good for her, but I think writers are like, well, Danny can't hang around with two lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think that's exactly correct. 
I also think that's probably the point. I yeah. think that if Karma had not been outed in the 90s, Rain that would Rain would have been gay a long time ago. I actually yes, do think that's I agree. True. They literally already did it in New Mutants, the movie, and it just felt right. Can we just do it? Some lesbians are hot fucking messes and date a bunch of men and have children with them because compulsory heterosexuality. It'd be great to see that older and repressed gay coming to terms with herself and getting help from karma and other women-loving women who are in a better place and also maybe kissing them. Thank you now and forever for this pod, and I will report your Scottish accent to the First Minister. Love, Julia B. So, (laughs) yeah, we're in. I just wanted to read that letter because Julia made me laugh. That's my internal monologue every time yeah. I read Rain. I'm like, come on now. A couple lesbians wrote in with similar thoughts. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Pame Bravo, who always writes in funny emails. But like, I can't read all of them, but just like, yes. Yeah, she should just be a lesbian. Yeah, that's it. We're with you. We hear you. We see you. But here's the thing. Danny can hang out with two lesbians because none of the new mutants are straight. Well, that magma. Okay, yes. Fine. But otherwise, do I count her? Do I count her? <laughs> I count her only because it's funny to me. I've been doing a lot of magma reading because the magma mm-hmm. episode's coming up, and I'm starting to appreciate magma as camp because <laughs> she's terrible. She's a terrible Sucks. character. But I'm my thing is like I'm now on a quest to like fix magma. I'm like I can make this character good, and so that's my that's my. My this is my ongoing thing. My friends like always, figuring out what I can do with her. Yeah, my friends always laugh. They're like, if there is a female character who's been done terribly dirty by a narrative, you will look at her and be like, I can fix that. The thing is, like, usually it's because I see potential in the character that really is there, and I'm like, I yes. could. But now it's more just with Magma. It's more just like I'm like, we're stuck with this character because she's a Chris Claremont original, and so I have to fix her because she's never going away. <laughs> she looks too cool. Like we're ne- we're all we're never yeah, going to be rid of her. Anyway, on a slightly similar note, Sophie Evergreen writes, Hi, Connor and Rebecca, long-time listener, first-time caller. Rain's always been a favorite character of mine, a character that's meant a lot to me. I first started reading Claremont's New Mutants when I was finally coming to terms with being trans, and I connected to Rain a lot because of that. While the queerness of her character is practically textual, she and Danny literally call each other soulmates, like, come on, I feel that trans readings of the character are also valid. Despite being a very complicated character at best, I know there are a lot of trans readers who connect strongly to Rain. In the early New Mutants issue, she frequently wishes to appear more feminine, wants her short hair to grow out, something me and other trans feminine readers can definitely relate to. I've also seen a few trans masculine readings of the character as well. There are more recent and obvious connections to Rain acting as a trans metaphor, but I would rather not dwell on that particular story. I was wondering what your thoughts are on this particular reading of the character. Sorry if this is a lot of rambling. Rain's just a very important character to me, which is incredibly evident if you've spent any time on the Cerebro Discord. I absolutely love the podcast. I'm looking forward to all the new episodes. Thank you for the hours of great content. Sophie or Sophie Evergreen on the Discord server. So what I've said a couple of times with these kinds of headcanons, queer headcanons, trans headcanons, mental illness headcanons, disability headcanons. I think they're so personal yes. that I'm hesitant to like weigh, like in an early episode, I said I didn't think Sage was autistic. And mm. then a bunch of people wrote in and they were like, here's why I think she is. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't have a strong opinion either way. At this point, I'm just kind of like, I don't want to get in the weeds too much on that. I will say, I think that like in terms of, I I totally see the metaphor and like what you're saying. For sure. I think that in terms of like, is Rain actually like a trans feminine character? That would be tricky just because I think that Reverend Craig makes it tricky. I don't think, yeah, I don't think Reverend Craig would have allowed that. So I think that it's hard to, rationalize that with her backstory but the themes are there yeah i think 
Rain works very well on a metaphorical level for that. I am a big proponent of all monsters work as being a queer metaphor. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. Like that's because her body transgression is about gender in a really primal way. So I totally get the vibe. I do think that in terms of the story logic that we're given, Reverend Craig would like not be gender affirming. Right. So it just would not (laughs) gone down that way. Probably. Yeah. I think uh, she probably works a lot stronger. A lot more strongly as a metaphorical reading in that sense, mm-hmm. but also, like you say, these are all like super. Yeah, like if you want to come up with a reason why that. it would make sense and why Reverend Craig did allow it and yada, like that's your that's completely your prerogative. Yeah. It's just that was my first thought was I was like I simply cannot imagine Reverend Craig like respecting Rain's chosen name. Like I just can't. <laughs> see that you know what I mean although rain is a a very chosen name feel I feel it does right yeah like it's not again it's just like something Chris Claremont made up like are there any actual Scottish girls named rain spelled that not that I've met yeah met a Raina right but it's like I just think that that's made up yeah so I mean that attracts to me but um yeah if if people have like story logic for it that's great point really is like if she makes you feel affirmed in that way, yes. then that's incredible. And like, I don't want to take that away from you. So yeah. I don't want to like and logic like, you out of it necessarily. You know what I mean? The point of these characters is to- Right, like, they're not real. You're real. in you. And yeah. for you to look at that and be like, oh, this makes sense to me. I see myself in that, or that's helped me with something. So I think anything that does that is all the more power to you and absolutely keep on with those because that's great. Absolutely. They- I like seeing everyone's takes. I think they're wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. And like, they're not real. You're real. So what matters is how you feel and how they make you feel. So just focus on that, I would say. But I'm glad that you feel seen by this character. And I hope that she gets better stories. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's, it's, we're coming out the other end, yeah. it does seem. Sam Gladstone writes, how do you think Rain, one of the most religious characters at Marvel, let alone among the mutants, deals with the dichotomy of being a devout Christian who has not just met, but fucked gods? Her best friend is a Valkyrie. How does she reconcile that with a personal deity that says there are no other deities? Great question. I think Rain doesn't believe they're gods. Yes, she does not think they're gods. She's just like, no, that's a demon. And like, it, again, part of what's so sinful about Primhari is that he's a false god. Yes, it's like a false idol to her yeah either that to be clear the christian god doesn't say that other gods don't exist it says they're not gods they're beings that are lying to you to deceive you so they're allowed to exist she just thinks that they're either space aliens or Mm -hmm. demons and the thing is in marvel cosmology they are often space aliens (laughs) or demons so yeah the thing is she's right a lot of the time yeah um, but yeah, absolutely. She does not think they're gods. That's the the short answer to it. That's how she rationalizes it. And yeah. she just thinks that like Danny is like tampering in the occult paganism. But like Danny was already Native American and like doing Cheyenne spirituality. So like Rain's just like, I didn't can that. I'm not going to touch it. You know, I'll just pray for her soul. Whatever, she doesn't think about Rain it. Does. It's not happening. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. It. And like, you know, Danny's not enormously like publicly religious anyway. So yeah. I don't think it's something that Rain like allows herself to think about. Owen writes, Dear Mr. Goltz, with an honored guest, B. Part of the reason I think the New Mutants resonate with so many readers is the way each of them can be seen as a representation of a different childhood trauma. I see Rain as an embodiment of the trauma organized religion can inflict on a child when they don't meet the expectations of the church. 
X-Factor Investigations makes Rain's feelings towards suicide very clear, but I wonder if her death in Rose and Caddy may have been a subconscious way for Rain to justify making that choice for herself while escaping the shame and condemnation her Catholicism might otherwise impose. Her mutation is particularly aggressive, and she's an X-Force veteran, so the fact that she doesn't fight back or otherwise escape from those guys might be a characterizing moment rather than just a plot beat meant to shock. Could Rain, like John Proudstar, have seen a way out? Thanks for your time, Owen, in her dialogue on the Discord. So again, not Catholic, but you're close ish but yes similarly of a denomination that would see suicide as a really serious a mortal that damns you yeah i think this is a super valid interpretation yes. of the arc in rosenberg's uncanny i don't want to get too deep into it because there's not much else to say beyond that but it doesn't make sense that those men overpower her it simply no. doesn't so i think that she lets it happen and yes. it's up to you how you want to read that and Given how controversial that storyline was, I don't know if it's something that will be revisited, mm -hmm. but I think it is interesting subtext to take into Krakoa. Yes. That she's resurrected in part because maybe she chose to let herself be killed. Yes. I think even not really touching that story, because like you say, there's a, there's a lot of weight about it and it's mm -hmm. a very thorny one to handle. But even with the stuff in X-Factor Investigations, the way it's framed to me reads as if this is something she has considered and considered a lot. Yes. And has considered that the weight of the sin is more than the relief she would get coming out. Yep. So when she's speaking to Richter, she's not as unpleasant as she can be. And as much as I find her very obnoxious and gross in expert yes. investigations, her core trait before those stories was empathy Yes. Right? Like, that's how she saves Ilyana in the Inferno. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think she's just yelling at Richter to be, like, a clucking-her-tongue religious person. No. I think she also is understanding where he's coming from yeah. and is telling her things she's told himself. Yes. I don't even think, like, it's a case of her reciting what she's learned or what she's been told. It's a case of, here's the thought process I have had. Right, she's this telling him the I've things done. that she's thought and the conclusions that she has reached. Yeah. She's just not doing it in a super helpful way. Yeah, it's not helpful, <laughs> but I think like that, it does come from a place of, I've been here and done this, and this is what I've come to the conclusion of. Mm -hmm. I agree. Jacob writes, hello again. My question's kind of a question and a story, so bear with me. I know you've rightfully ragged on Rain's tenure in X-Factor Investigations for all the crap I put the character through, but having read the run myself recently, I was struck by the parallels between my own life and Rain's struggle with her faith through that book. Like Rain, I've struggled with finding a place in my religion. I'm an out gay man and also part of the Orthodox Christian Church. I've wrestled with finding a place in a church that doesn't wholly welcome me, yet also a church that I can't just walk away from since, aside from the gay stuff, it's a faith I deeply believe in. I'm not the only person in this position. At this point, I know quite a few other gay Catholics, Orthodox people, and other Christians in conservative denominations who are attempting this balancing act of accepting and embracing our own sexuality while also feeling compelled to remain parts of a faith tradition where we don't quite fit. Likewise, throughout X Factor, Rain seemed to me to be going through a similar struggle. She remains a faithful church-going Presbyterian throughout the book, at one point even pointing that out to the Madrox duplicate Episcopal priest John Maddox and pushing him away a bit. Oh, that's right. John Maddox is an Episcopalian, not a Catholic mm -hmm. priest. So that's less... That makes the siren thing weirder. <laughs> oh, whatever. 
cares? There is no way to make that work with everything going on there. No, I know. That scene in particular stood out to me since I've often been asked why I don't just join a more gay-friendly church. And the reason is that despite the gay-friendliness, I can't quite bring myself to believe everything else that the Episcopal or Lutheran churches teach about Christianity. Rain, like me, seems to be stuck in a situation where despite the abuse she suffered at the hands of the church, she still believes in it and wants to find her place. With all that in mind, what do you think the place of Rain's faith in her life is now in Krakoa? Obviously, there are no mutant-hating Presbyterian churches on the island, but is she still religious? Is she maybe just taking a break? Do you think she'd eventually find herself joining Maddox's church or another like it? Or do you think she'll remain obstinately Presbyterian and try to change the church she grew up in? Thanks for all you do. Love the podcast still, especially if you're driving 16 hours in a cross-country move. Cheers, Jacob. Thank you for writing in with something so personal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that is a struggle that a lot of people go through all the time. I think Rain is definitely still religious. Yes. I think it's been de-emphasized somewhat because human religion is not the most relevant thing on Krakoa, but I think that like Kurt, who is letting his Catholicism inform his approach to Krakoan life, and like Kate, who has talked about, you know, she called Kurt her rabbi, like she's thinking about her Jewishness with regard to Krakoa and is wearing her religious symbol again and stuff like that. Or Soraya, who's... Mm -hmm. Muslim identity is clearly still very important to her, is still observing Purda on Krakoa, et cetera. I think like there are ways to balance that that could be very interesting. But I think that she is more focused right now on who she's going to be now that she's alive again in this new context. And I think she's afraid of backsliding in a way that would be damaging Mm -hmm. and that she sees emphasizing religion and church as a way that she has in the past backslid. So I think she's trying to be a little more secular at the moment. That's my read anyway. Yeah, no, I think I agree with that. I do think that it's always going to be like that one of the core aspects of her identity. I also think it's when, I think when you're raised in that sort of environment, it is always going to inform. It always informs you culturally whether or not you still believe, but I think she does still believe. I think it's also important that she does still believe. And to be fair, I mean, of all the X-Men characters, like, again, she got stuck in, like, 50 issues of we're dealing with Christian hell. So she has no reason not to. Yeah, she's like, (laughs) you know what? I think I'm right. Turns out I'm right, actually. Surprise, I'm right. So, Um, yeah, I I think that the best way to go would be to check in with her about it in, like, an arc that does focus on her Mm -hmm. and show not necessarily like her religious practice, but just how maybe her feelings about herself have changed because so much of it was based in self-hatred in the early material. And I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see her go back to the church as an institution so much and more so have that faith become something that is personal for who she is becoming. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of range trauma very specifically comes from the organization of the church she was raised in rather than the actual beliefs. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her sort of reconfiguring those beliefs to something that suits her in a practice that's going to be more suited to who she is on Krakoa. Mm -hmm. I agree. 
Zach Jenkins writes, Dear Connor and Rebecca, in the now classic Captain America 406, Rain Sinclair teams up with other werewolf-themed superheroes like J. Jonah Jameson's astronaut son, Jack Russell the werewolf by night, Feral, werewolf Captain America, and mustelid-themed hero Wolverine, who isn't at all a werewolf, to save a werewolf town. Do you think she keeps in contact with any of them? I think her and Colonel John Jameson would make a cute couple with only a minimal chance for mouth babies. Bless Zach Jenkins. Zach Jenkins on the Discord. That made me laugh. Zach, I'm not reading any more of your questions until you start spelling my name correctly in these emails. I always remember that you're Zach with a K. It is Connor with an O-R. Spell my name right. Please. I love you. But please. My God. I can't do this every single time. So I don't think she and John Jameson would make a cute couple because he's a man. So that's uh, an uh, yeah, issue she's with gay that. Is the thing. Um, I do think that uh, she probably does still keep in touch with Werewolf by Night because yes. he was like her son's foster father. Yeah. And we know that she and Wolverine keep in touch. So there's that. <laughs> I would like to see, I know that they introduced a new Werewolf by Night recently. So I don't know what Jack Russell's up to right now, but I do think that like- Bring Jack Russell back, let them have a chat. Yeah, have her like go to Topaz's bar in Greenwich Village and like chat with Jack Russell. I just want Topaz back. It has nothing to do with the werewolf by night. I'm very This is your secret factor pilot to get. My secret Marvel magic agenda. <laughs> Luke Reddick writes, Dear Connor and the illustrious B, first I'd just like to say how much I'm looking forward to this episode. B, you're always an incredible presence in the Discord community and frequently offer insight into a seemingly endless number of topics. I can't think of anyone better suited to be a Cerebro guest and hopefully a repeat. Well, that's very kind. No. That said, my question is a simple one. What the fuck did Shatterstar ever do to Rain? <laughs> she threw him out of a window, tried to entrap his boyfriend with a mystical pregnancy. That was a lot. But then they seemed to make peace. Until New Mutants Dead Souls, where we see her being passive-aggressive at his choice of brunch spots, which just feels rude given the defenestration in their past. Why did she hate Kavidra Seven, son of Dazzler and Prince of Disco, so much? Love, Luke. Actually, I excellent use of the word defenestration. Great use of defenestration. I think she's jealous. Not just of his relationship with Richter, because I don't think she's that hung up on Richter yeah. as a person. I think that the fact that he is so comfortable being queer makes yes. her very uncomfortable. Yes. She's uncomfortable because she sees an aspect of herself reflected back and she hates that aspect. Yeah. And that's it makes what I her feel ashamed to see someone be open like that. Again, this is one of the problems with Rain never just like textually being a lesbian because without that explanation, awful. she's just a fucking bitch. So yeah. like there's no, you know, and with she's still behaving badly, oh, but like course. at least you get it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and also being catty about uh, people's choices of brunch spots as the gay experience. So that's just how it goes. Adrian Deacon writes, Hello, Connor, and esteemed guest, Rebecca Galt. I've been an avid fan of comic books for most of my life, having grown up in the early 2000s, with my first exposure to the team being the X-Men movie. I watched the animated series, mostly Evolution, and that's where I first discovered Wolfsbane, alongside my bisexual awakenings, Rogue and Nightcrawler. This podcast has been immense help in widening my love of X-Men characters and getting back into the current runs. I just finished the Ten of Swords event in Marvel Unlimited and dove right back into reading New Mutants and Excalibur. My question is about character assassination, because out of all the new mutants post Claremont, I feel Rain has had it the worst in the modern era of X-Men. While I did love her in X-Men Evolution, my heart kind of sank about after I heard about her dating her student Elixir in Academy X and her whole catastrophic relationship with Julio. Then there was the weird demigod baby, which I choose to just accept and not look into at all, 
which adds even further drama and trauma to her as a character. While I like how it's being tackled in Ayala's New Mutants, a lot of the time it seems writers just don't know how to write her or add a bunch of trauma to her specifically. My breaking point was her horrific death during Rosenberg's run on Uncanny. I guess my question is in regards to characters you love that were assassinated by other writers and creators. I know Connor had a whole issue with the decimation, but I'm interested in any other specific examples. Sorry for the wall of text, but as a fan of the X-Men in this podcast, I have a lot to say. Love you and the podcast, and hope you both have a great day. P.S. I had the unfortunate task of explaining NYX to my friend who wanted to know Laura Kinney's origins in the comics. Ooh. I just told him, don't worry about it. But then he texted me saying he regretted not listening to that advice. So <laughs> Sometimes you do worry about it, is the thing. I think that Madeline Pryor would be the one that I'm most... And of it's course. not even that Claremont did it. It's that like Bob Layton in X-Factor 1 writes her so atrociously in a way that is yeah. meant to assassinate the character. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think that what's hard is when it's done that way, when it's mm-hmm. done in a way that feels destructive. With Rain, I do think that Peter David thought he was telling interesting stories with the character. Yeah. I, and I, 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 I just disagree. He, I don't think he <laughs> set out to ruin that character. No, I think he does love Rain. And like we said, that's part of what I think makes it so... Whereas, like, I don't feel like he loves Siren. No. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Like, I, that's the, 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 the difference between the two characters for me is Siren, it feels like she's being punished in some way. With yes. Rain, it feels like a Claremont-style, like, crucible of trauma that's supposed to take you somewhere. But I don't think the book ever takes her anywhere I, particularly Yeah, it just doesn't, is the thing. Um, I think in terms of character assassination, I think Rain is probably the strongest example I have just because it has been so consistent. It's relentless. It's relentless. Like, truly, when I was doing the reread for this... I finished that sort of original New Mutants. I was like, okay, we got to do the 90s now, I guess. And then it was just relentless until I hit 2019. And I was like, bring me home to Krakoa. I've had enough. I've had enough. Get me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is just, I was like, great. And now I have to go read this comic where I hate this run too. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Cesar Castagna writes, hello, Connor and B. Oh, I'm sorry. Distinguished guest, Rebecca Galt. I'm very excited for this episode. Here's my question. As Marvel has the habit of taking previously existing literary and mythological monsters into their hall of characters, Dracula being one of the more recurring in that regard, and also allowing for the literary and oral history to inform their own original characters, such as Rain with werewolf lore, I wanted to ask what literary, mythological, or oral history monster you would appreciate making an appearance in the X franchise. All the best, Cesar Castagna. I want to let you take it away first because you are the monster lady. What do you think we haven't touched yet that would be fun? Uh, bring me some selkies. I think I was literally so I am sea monster stuff scares me more than any other monster stuff. Yeah, that is relatively unexplored in the yes. annals of X history, and I think well, that would be cool uh, if we stick with my heritage. Give them a kelpie. Kelpies are scary. Sure, hate them. If sonic waves will do nay good, let's see how young <laughs> kelpie fares against close range machine gun fire. Moira referring to the Ngarai as a kelpie is yeah. Like, bring an actual Kelpie. Bring an actual Kelpie, yeah. I mean, honestly, I quite liked Kelpie from The Union. Like, that book was not my favorite, but that character was extremely funny. No, the character was fun. We could use her. We could have her turn up. Any kind of, like, creepy mermaid thing is Mm. fun to me, and I think that there's ways you could go with that. And already characters like Loa and Namor or undersea, so you yeah, can do like there's definitely space undersea for that. stuff. Yeah, and I think it's a very good like 
horror beat because we know nothing about the ocean and the ocean is unacceptable i don't like it i like sitting near it i'm a pisces i like being near water i like listening to the ocean i like smelling the ocean i don't want to go on a boat (laughs) and i don't want to know what's down deep it's just i don't want to see it i don't want to see that i'm a scorpio i like being near water i like yeah I like scuba diving and snorkeling. Right, I like a swimming pool. I get to pool. a certain point, and I'm like, "That's enough." <laughs> That's it now. No thanks. I can no longer tapping out, and I'm scared of it. <laughs> Aren't you a triple Scorpio? Yes, I am. Yeah, that's. That's sexy. I can't lie. Like you're not my type, clearly, but uh, I am. It's I a real say, strong vibe. Yeah. No, Scorpio with Moon in Scorpio and Scorpio rising yeah. is. That's a that's a that's a powerful. It's a powerful, it's a powerful energy, energy for sure. Justin Park writes, hi, Connor, and B, I can't say Rebecca. I'm sorry. It feels weird. B, it's such a pleasure to have you in the Discord. I'm so excited to hear your episode, even if you plan on affecting an accent from Scotland, a fictional country. Just like Rain or <laughs> That's an inside joke from the Discord. Don't worry about it if you're listening and you're not in the Discord. But come to the Discord. It's fun. Discord.gg slash Cerebro. Scotland isn't a real country. Just like Rain herself, I'll keep this short and sweet. What character or performance on Glee best represents Rain Sinclair and why? Thanks, Justin. This is a question for B, not for me. So go for it. So the thing is, it's absolutely the um, the horrendous, creepy mashup of Don't Stand So Close to Me and Young Girl. Oh, I've seen that one. Okay, that, I watched the first three seasons. So yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, those are the only good ones. I have to it say, that mashup's that. great, though. It's really good, is the thing, and I hate that it's in that context. Yeah, but, you know, what are you going to do? But, but yes, um, no, that is that, that is the Elixir that. track, yeah. Um, <laughs> I uh, I think that that's exactly right, actually, and I feel no need to, to examine further. I wish I had further options, but no, no, that's the one. <laughs> Andrew Youngson writes, Hi, Connor and Rebecca. Caledonian salutations to you both. Written Y-E- B-A-I-T-H. Thanks for giving Rain her moment on the pod. As a queer northern Scot with a furry face, I feel a lot of empathy for her. I know she's a nightmare, but there's a lot to love underneath all the fangs, phobias, and feckin' awful things the wee redhead gets up to. My very serious question is, which animal form would your favorite X-Men character take if they had Rain-like powers, and why? And what would their codename be? Thanks so much for all you do with this podcast, Connor, and your wonderful guests. You've created a safe and beautiful space for us all to explore these characters in their world in new, enriching ways. Lots of love from Bonnie Scotland, Andrew XX. Thank you, Andrew. P.S. Oh, he, this is the one he wrote. P.S. Sinclair should be pronounced Sinclair. At least that's how we say it up north. Yeah. Well, here's what I have to say, Andrew. Um, Scottish guys are hot, so like, continue to write in, please. Great accent. <laughs> But here's the real bottom line. My favorite X-Men character, we already know, because it has been revealed that on Spider-Ham's Earth, Betsy Braddock is a goose who calls herself the Violet Swan, which is perfect. It's so good. Being a goose who calls yourself a swan is an iconic Betsy Braddock choice. So I think that that's great. I think it may be that Marcus Toad just drew a goose instead of a swan, but she's a goose now. No, and goose I, Betsy I think is it's just better you gotta that deal she's with. a goose. Yeah, no, I prefer that she's a goose and that Violet Swan is a code name. My other faves, like Emma, I think might be like a stoat or like an ermine or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like it would be one of the things that she skins to make her white queen outfits historically, right? But yeah. she'd be like very chic. And like beautiful, very fancy looking. Lorna has cat vibes, honestly. Yeah, but I like, I'd have to think deeper on it. And then Monet would be a crab with little <laughs> clickety clack claws and clack. 
a red shell and all of that. So, and then Kanan is also a goose, obviously, because yes. it would have to be. Although it has, I, I mean, obviously, what would be fun is if Kanan was a swan. <laughs> One might say Sanon with a silent W, okay. and then Betsy is the violet swan in part because Goose Betsy was trapped in a swan body for 30 years. Yes. By the hand. Or in this case, the wing, perhaps? The wing? Not to be confused with the Women's Business Development Club, but honestly, maybe we could mash them up. That would be kind of fun. Uh, Yeah, so what about you? The thing is- Apart from Rain, who obviously we know what she was- Jean has the bird thing going and she's kind of stuck with that now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Which, like, it's great. It's a great vibe for her. But also, you know, it comes with some baggage. <laughs> sure does. I feel like Dazzler would be, like, a peacock. That would work. Or for me, or I also could see Dazzler as, like, a toy dog. Like a Pomeranian. Oh, something. like something yappy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sort of irritating, but also very cute. But also adorable. But, like, yeah. hey, I'm Ali. Hey, but, like, it's a Pomeranian. <laughs> I could see, you know? Chihuahua with the big massive eyes. Hey. Dazzler would be a great name for a Pomeranian. I'm just putting it, it out there. Actually, if you're in the market for a Pomeranian looking to call me. your Pomeranian Dazzler. <laughs> Last question. Krakoa Welcomes writes, what animal would you want to be able to wolf Spain into? Your mutant name would have to be that animal's bane, by the way. Um, now, I know the Discord knows I'm a horse girl, but... Very inconvenient. Yeah. Terrible. There's no space for that. No. So I like a fox. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So a fox would be fun. Honestly, I think cat's eye has it. Dangerous made. in England, though, because the nobility might hunt you. I don't need to go there. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> North of the border. Not only. after independence. Right. No, exactly. exactly. Right. So, yeah, I think a fox or a cat. I think cat's eye has it made. Like, yeah, cat's eye hunt. really is just killing it. Honestly. Yeah, she's my favorite animal here's some connor lore is the emu Mm -hmm. emu if we want to be more precise because i guess in commonwealth nations it's emu it's like Mm. emu i love flightless birds i'm Uh just like a weirdo that way i love ostriches i love all those weirdos cassowary oh would you like some some fun bee lore in return sure (laughs) my dad has a property in an ostrich farm so i grew up there Oh my god i'm obsessed i am not beating the allegations of not being a real person but it's too late no i love that though but so yeah so i don't think i would want to turn into one though because i'm thinking of like what the halfway form oh. would look like and it would be not cute that's not good so like my instinct is cat's eye type cat person also except that then i think about how like male cats have like spiny penises and i don't want to end up in like a hank mccoy spiny penis situation where trish tilby ruins my life and then i fall in love with a house cat so i don't know i'm just trying to think of like fall in love with an actual cat and you're like like, them you know yeah i feel like um a bat might be cool you could have like wings yeah um but like bat's bane is not a good code bat's bane is not great emu's bane is kind of hilarious (laughs) but i just don't know i mean i guess i would run really fast they run like 30 miles an hour yeah they're speedy Ostriches run like 60 miles an hour. Yeah, we used to, um, I used to get on my bike and ride alongside the fence and make them chase me. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love them because they're like birds, but also dinosaurs. And so yes. as a kid who loved birds and dinosaurs, I was like, this is... I went to the National Zoo and like the emus walked up and looked at me and I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever fucking seen in my life. Just a dinosaur. And it was a lifelong love story ever since. I actually, I have often thought I would love to create a character. I would need like a sensitivity reader or something, but with Gateway and Manifold and like the Dreamtime stuff that's part of yeah. X-Men, I think like a female indigenous Australian character who was like emu themed would be fucking radical. That would be very cool. So, you know, just a, just a thought I'm going to put out there in the world. Maybe someday <laughs> I'll get to put that in a comic. But um, I would kill. I would read it. Yeah, I think she'd be fucking rad. Sure she would be. have like such beautiful plumage. Like I don't think she'd actually be like an animal person, but it would be like no, but it'd like be Wolverine. Like, like it would be like themed. Like yeah. Right? yeah, so you know, we love a theme. We love a theme. But anyway, B Rebecca. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Wolf Spain before we wrap up? We just gotta let her be gay. Let her kiss some girls. She'll get let over it. Let Wolf Spain be gay. Let that dog eat some puss. Literally, like it's right there for you. It's right there. And frankly, honestly, if it's not going to be Danny, it's Cat's Eye. Cat's Eye's back. Cat's Eye's back. Cat's Eye. Let them date. They should. They're cute. They're so cute. And Cat's Eye is a fucking lesbian. Like, that's just, it's just right there in the text. Like, she's just always like, come frolic with me, Red Fur. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just, she's a lesbian. Cat's Eye. Listen, in 2023, when B returns for the Cat's Eye episode, (laughs) we'll go into more detail about Cat's Eye. Sold. But. For now, why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything you want to plug? Yeah, so I am Phoenix Force on Twitter, replacing that O with a C because so someone Phoenix got Fikers. it. Yeah, Phoenix Fikers. Yeah. Uh, I am Rebecca Galt 7 on Instagram, and I have some fun academic papers coming up. Parasite Eve for one. I can't. <laughs> it is time for the mitochondria to be free. It I can't wait. Is. I'm so excited to read. I, have a wonderful one coming up on the Phoenix Force and Gina and Rachel's relationship, mm-hmm. which is going to be very fun. And I'm always talking about queer monstrosity over there. So feel free to come and say hi. Yeah, she's a quality follow. And uh, I th- and also you're doing um, reviews now. Yeah, I am. For uh, Comics Bookcase, right? I am indeed. So yeah. I get reviewing to- Knights of X. I have. I don't read reviews of my friends stuff because so it makes fair. me uncomfortable but i knew that you loved it so i read yours yeah. and i liked it <laughs> I, I, I come into the discord and make you read my thoughts anyway yeah you so. were like you were like loved it and i was like okay i'm gonna a peek <laughs> but you know i'm just i, I just try to my thing is if i know the writers and then i read the reviews i like feel like i should tell the writers what the yeah reviews and you don't want to be writers, in that possession and the writers don't want to read the reviews so i'm like not you know most of the time most people yeah. most people don't want to read like you know i wouldn't reviews, want so. to no absolutely not they're not for you really at yeah. the end of the day right thank you so much for being my guest this was a lot of fun it's been fun to get to know you in the discord you've been a really i think essential part of the cerebro discord community someone said oh this is the first like cerebro listener person who's not a mod who's going to be a guest in the show and i was like well she would be a mod but she's a grad student and i would never ask a grad student to moderate a discord it would just be a way for me to procrastinate my thesis cruel and unusual when you're in such a state all the time right but no, seriously, it's been great to get to know you and uh, it was fun to get some FaceTime. And yeah, it was very I, fun. I uh, can't wait to have you back because I think this is a really great episode. 
You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the merch store, the Discord server, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladine tier at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast, you can get exclusive access to the weekly Claremont read-along these are bonus episodes. Every week I'm reading one issue of the Claremont run in sequence and doing commentary and funny voices and yada yada. You will also get access to any other bonus episodes that go up. There's a couple coming down the pipe, including uh, an episode with Valentine Smith and Zoe Tonell about Betsy and Rachel and their history, which I am excited about. I actually got to email them because I have the reading list together now. Because I had to cross-reference their appearance lists and be like, where are all of the... I had to, like, do <laughs> where do they cross over with each other? Which issues are they both in, right? Betsy and Rachel have a fascinating little history because they're ships in the night in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then the second that Whedon takes Kitty off the board, Claremont's like, well, here's Rachel's new obsession. <laughs> and so it's, it's, like, very funny. Oh, to, that's to... so lesbian Cody Dover. Uh, yeah, it's just, like, the second Kitty's like, I'm back with Piotr, Rachel's like, okay, I'm obsessed with this supermodel who all my sapphic yearning will be about now. Next week, Alex Abad-Santos returns to the pod for the Magma episode. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means the world to me. And until next time, everybody, bye. Bye, guys. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.